Welcome to the Texas Law Dog Podcast, where we will get you off, literally and legally. Your weekly true crime podcast from the criminal defense lawyer's perspective. Join the Texas Law Dog and co-host Akash as they venture into the nitty-gritty of the criminal justice system and explore how there may be practicable solutions to cleaning it up. Any and all content produced should not be construed as formal legal advice, used for educational, marketing, and solicitation purposes only. Some information may be factual. All guests have agreed to use their real names and likenesses. All views and opinions expressed by the Texas Law Dog reflect the opinions of Texas Law Dog LLC only and should not be construed as formal or informal legal advice by a practicing attorney. The Texas Law Dog will not get you off, literally or legally, despite what he may claim. Hey everybody, welcome to the Texas Law Dog Podcast, episode 12. We are joined today by a very special guest, Hunter S. Biden, uh, very much not related to the president's son, Robert Hunter Biden. does share a similar name, however. I wanted to start the episode and uh, with a trigger warning, which is that this is a very serious episode, and that if you, for whatever stupid, crazy reason, are listening to this with your kids, I number one, question your parenting skills, and number two, I'm telling you to please do not allow your children to listen to this particular episode uh, unless they are at least probably 16 um, because it's heavy and it's got some real life shit in it. And while we do joke around and, and have a good time, the stuff that is discussed is quite harrowing. It is something that will make you reevaluate if you ever decided that you wanted to maybe get into drugs possibly. So that's why we did it. We did this so that we can help people, which is to anonymously be open and honest. And please, if you don't listen to any of the interview, listen to the last 10 minutes of it because we go over how you can protect yourself with HIPAA from your employer if you are dealing with an, an addiction issue. And so please, if you don't, you know, if you get bored of the interview, or whatever, just listen to the last 10 minutes. We talk about how you can approach HR and uh, deal with this issue. So, and what, and also what protections, you know, you may have. And please, guys, enjoy this one. I am really happy. My buddy came down from Dallas to record this. And I'm very, very grateful for him joining me and being open and candid with me. And <clears throat> sorry, I'm getting a little choked up because I think this episode is probably my favorite one yet. I'm proud to put it out there because th this isn't a, a popular thing to do, which is to be open and honest about, you know, have open and honest conversations about drug use, addiction, social media addiction, every addictions of everything, basically. And so this episode was meant to be an assistance and to show people that it is a very real thing that occurs in our in our American world. And so I guys, without further ado, please welcome on Mr. Hunter S. Biden. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Episode 12. Uh, this is the Texas Law Dog. I am joined by a very special guest today. This is a very good friend of mine uh, that I grew up uh, grew up with. I grew up with in law school. <laughs> <laughs> um, he is choosing to remain anonymous because he has a real job and uh, the the implications of what we're going to talk about may have some uh, 
real life compl- complications or consequences. So, uh, and and as of course you guys know, the uh, Texas Law Dog is a parody character, and so he and everything that he says is not indicative of what the individual behind him is saying. So, uh, that notwithstanding, please welcome on my very good friend, uh, and he is very unrelated to him, but this is Hunter S. Biden. Thank you. Hey. Thank you, Law Dog. How it's you good doing, to brother? See I'm doing well. I'm working on about, uh, you know, five hours of sleep after uh, a fun adventure at the Tim Dillon show last night with the Law Dog himself. Yeah, so, like, I uh, I had Hunter come down for a uh, live show, first one that we've had. You know, I haven't, I haven't, have you been to a show since the I quarantine? I haven't. Man, it felt so good to go out and see live entertainment. Like, I was craving this for such a long time. And as a massive comedy fan, man, there, I listen to a lot of com- comedy podcasts and uh, – I, I actually dabbled in comedy myself, but there, there's no replacement for live comedy. Watching it online on YouTube, like, you just don't get the experience of being live in person. Just the energy of the crowd, and, like, it was oh. it was awesome to watch not only Tim Dillon go after you, because we sat up near the front. <laughs> yes, yes, we did. I uh, I dressed kind of ridiculous on purpose. To, <laughs> what to, did you wear? I wore a T-shirt that my sister made, uh... That had it said "Love Trumps All" and it had Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump making out on it, a uh, American flag neck gaiter and a libertarian porcupine hat. You pretty much had the I rioted at the Capitol starter pack on. I yeah, I, the only thing that would have made it better is if I painted my face and had horns. <laughs> <laughs> I think you would have truly appreciated that, but you threw him off because he asked you who you were. What did you tell him? I told him I was the son of Ken Lay. <laughs> he threw him off. Yeah. He goes, no, you're not. No, he said, are you really? Oh, that's right. He goes, are you really? And I, I said, no, immediately. And he's like, I was so fucking excited if you actually were. <laughs> He came out hot. He's like, if you want to know what a cruise is like, just just go to Houston and then send them all out under the water. <laughs> <laughs> just ripping about how fat the city oh, is. Oh, yeah. He was great. I mean, like, he, he's, as a fat guy himself, he's like, I'm in shape in this city. Yeah, he goes to Houston to feel good. He leveled the room. It was an awesome experience and being that close I could see the underside of his belly (laughs) yeah we were staring up at him and you could just see his like fat jiggling out you know and it was it it literally he's such a good like Chris Farley type he he's one of my favorite comedians just because a he's the only one of the only ones left that still is honest and like speaks about a what's going on in the world honestly and makes fun of it in a good way and pushes the boundary in that yeah, way. Yeah, and what's really great about Tim is he is nonpartisan. Like, he rips both sides. He sees through – I mean, he's completely red-pilled. He sees that both the Republican and De- Democrat establishment is essentially the same, and they have the same agenda. Maybe so, that's why I like him so much. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me and Law Dog have uh, very similar points of views in many uh, – both political and conspiratory (laughs) senses so it's a and and i haven't talked to you it like in a long time and i saw a post about recovery that you did and i have which we'll get into my struggles of addiction so i reached out and uh 
we've both had rough couple years and we talked for like I think over an hour. Hour and a half. Felt like it was five minutes. It, you know? Yeah, it did. I was bad. I hadn't talked to you in probably five, six years. You know? Yeah, I hadn't seen you. I'd run into you maybe once. Yeah, too. once at, at the rodeo with my now wife. Um, and yeah, I think we were both pretty fucked up. And it was. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that based on what we used to do when we met. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we. Can. I, Hunter was an, he introduced himself to me as the king of all drugs. Yes, <laughs> he goes. If you want to know how to take drugs well, I'm your guy. Which is ironic, considering what we'll get into. It's surprising in some senses that I lost control because I had that shit dialed in. If you wanted to know exactly what something would do to you. What combos you could oh, make? Oh, I know. I'd be like, all right. Well, if I want to get high, and you'd be like, oh no, what you're gonna do is you want to you're gonna want to smoke, and then you're gonna want to take a Percocet, and then you're gonna want to take an Ambien, and then drink. And then, but you had like the timing and like exactly what you needed to Ex- do exact in order to dosages. feel. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I found that a well, you and I just we kind of related on a philosophical level early on. I think um, after we met and hung out a few times, and so that blossomed into a good friendship i think it's, it did um it, it started with taking drugs and now it's talking about why we shouldn't take them anymore you know and i think that's a yeah, good span of a true is. friendship uh the the first time i met law dog i remember uh someone who is not law dog got so blackout drunk like he couldn't walk and then he got into his honda and drove away and i'm like this guy is a fucking douchebag <laughs> that doesn't sound like me. No, no, it, 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 it was definitely not. Also, I drove a Camry, not a Honda. Oh, well, then it wasn't you. Since it was a, That's right, exactly. It, my recollection was a Honda. <laughs> You're definitely thinking the wrong guy. Yeah. I never drove drunk. I, I know, it's a different dude. <laughs> I never got arrested for driving while intoxicated. Maybe when I met Law Dog, it reminded me almost exactly of him. Mm, maybe, yeah. You saw yourself in the mirror, huh? Yep, pretty much. I was uh, on the same level in a lot of regards. Yeah, man, and so that was interesting because I think I, I wanted to have you on not only because when you reached out, um, one, I was really happy that I found someone who was like me, uh, you know, and, and that was dealing with a recovery issue. Yeah. I think I found solace in getting to talk to someone that I trusted about it, you know? And so uh, someone that's similar professional, you know, deal where we wanted to do this mostly, you know, while we're having a good time and we're going to make some jokes and stuff. But like the, the, the main reason I wanted to do this, this show in particular is because, this is an issue that isn't widely talked about, you know, enough. And, and and considering we have friends, we all have friends that, you know, may have an issue or or, are contemplating whether or not they have an issue. I just think that me and uh, Mr. Biden here having a good chat about our experiences and, you know, how we were able to commandeer addiction uh, or at least, try to start the path of recovery is an important topic that especially for like professionals and people with with like mental health mental health issues anybody who's struggling out there i wanted to just have 
a conversation with another individual who was an addict and so yeah. that they could kind of get into the mindset of what it is to be an addict because a lot of people may know someone who's like an alcoholic or a drug addict and you or you or your only exposure to it is what you see in the media or the, the, the television shows or whatever yeah. and so a lot of it it's it's more like when we grew up, drug addicts are homeless guys, you yeah. know, and right. that's what you were, the D.A.R.E. program and, <laughs> pretty and, much and, put into our heads. And criminals and, like, living in crack houses, um, and I think we need to shine a light on something that people, even with a ton going for them, who are functioning addicts and successful in a lot of realms, can really fall down the dark path, too. It Addiction does not... Uh, discriminate. And I think during our recovery process, we've learned that too, because we've seen, seen people in our similar situation of uh, fairly... Oh, it crosses all genders, races, creeds. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's just, I think that anyone that isn't an addict or has an addictive personality, just it's it's like you either know it or you don't. You know, one of those things, I think. Yeah. And so I guess we want to open you guys up to the minds of a couple of addicts maybe so that if you aren't one or don't know anyone that's dealing with addiction, that you can at least see how serious an issue this is. We're going to tie it into the legal system and specifically how uh, we, we're going to talk about how we both you know dealt with issues throughout the legal system ourselves and, um, and the broader implications thereof. And so like, I guess my first question to you is... When's the first time you ever tried drugs? Uh, first time I ever tried drugs. That's an interesting question. I think the first time I tried drugs is I was an overweight kid, and I heard that Adderall would suppress your appetite and also allow you to study harder. And as someone who is a driven educational kid, uh, that really was interesting to me. Um, so I think I was like... 15 years old, maybe? So Adderall is an interesting drug because it wasn't around in, like, the 90s. Or if it was, it wasn't, like, widely as distributed as it is now. Right. So, obviously, I got it from a kid who... Did you get an ADHD diagnosis? Fuck no. I got got it from people who had ADHD diagnosis. Ah, okay. So this is a very popular thing, right? Which is that you have a friend with an Addy prescription, and then that's how you get it. Yeah, exactly. And then I also smoked marijuana for the first time when I was 15. And this is kind of an insight into my personality. I was just interested on what the hype was. So what I did is in chemistry class, I took one of those glass tubes and I put it under a Bunsen burner and turned it into a pipe, which looked a lot like a crack pipe. I bought marijuana from someone at school and I smoked it in my backyard by myself. Was it good? Uh, yeah, I I loved it. Uh, I, be- <laughs> I I became almost like a daily smoker pretty pretty quickly at fifteen. Yeah, at fifteen, it, it really started doing daily smoking like before school. Even I think like my junior year in high school, and I started drinking when I was thirteen. And let let's not forget, alcohol is a very horrible drug uh, in kind of the wide spectrum of drugs it doesn't get enough attention 
It's kind of the worst, I think. I it mean, is. It's, it's the it's, it's the one that leads down all roads, you it, know. I wouldn't say it's the worst, but it certainly is a poison. I, yeah, right. Not the worst, but I'm saying it's the, maybe the most commonly used. It is because it's socially acceptable. Right. So there's a lot Marketed of people. And, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people who say I don't do drugs, but like I drink every day. And it's like, dude, you do drugs every single day. And that therein is the the big issue, right? Like, imagine. Instead of going to the bars to drink, you, you go out and smoke weed, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> right. And then you're you're like, I don't have a problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> because it, it it would be different um, if it was that, you know. And versus, but alcohol has has, te- has stood stood the test of time. It has, and it is a hundred times worse for your body than marijuana, and the behavioral. <laughs> And illegal and societal problems behind it are, I mean, you probably know the percentage of people who get arrested that have alcohol in their systems is so fucking high. Oh, it's and, and if it's not alcohol, it's something else. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's any like intoxicants cause, you know, a vast majority of her socioeconomic problems. And, but I mean, there there lies a thing where there are. People that are undercover drug addicts and no one knows. Oh, can like that's the other thing is that I would people don't know just when they're driving around on the roads how many people are fucked up, right? On prescription drugs. Oh God, I can't even imagine. Uh, you get on the highway in Texas or Dallas at like ten thirty at night on a Friday. I would say maybe half of people are impaired, are, are impaired on some that's sort good of, for me <laughs> it is business will be booming for the law dog dude uh absolutely i mean as soon as they make thought a crime as well it's just gonna be it's gonna be even better and that's that's the way we're going <laughs> especially if this pandemic man and this goes into addiction um fortunately both of us uh kind of took the first steps of our recovery prior to the pandemic. Oh, because I can't imagine, an, you know, having a Coke problem and when you can't go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine trying to s- score Oxycontin or heroin, uh, which we'll get into that one. Yeah, uh, for sure. That was the end of the road for, for me in a lot of regards. Uh, and I lost my job like right after the pandemic hit. I got laid off because of it. And if I'd still been using the dark spiral, my my marriage would be over. My life might actually been over too. For sure. Uh, so I I feel extremely blessed that I took. I got a real wake up call, which we'll get get into. Yeah. So like, let's walk us back. I mean, so you started you started smoking weed like when you were a kid, and. Um... You know, like I, I, my personal experience with marijuana, I never tried it until college. So I was a straight and narrow kid in high school, never drank, never did any drugs, never did Adderall, never tried anything. And then I never even got exposed to any of it until I got to college. Yeah. Well, marijuana was not my drug of choice eventually. So I. So lead us into like, so you, you're in high school mm-hmm. and then you. Uh, you went to Notre Dame, right, initially? Uh, I went to University of Texas initially and then transferred to Notre Dame. That's right. It's the other way around. Okay. So when you went to UT, like, tell me, like, you know, so how did the drug addiction turn from something that you had just discovered as a kid into, like, a full-blown thing? Okay. So Texas, University of Texas wasn't that bad. But getting in high school, I'll back up a little bit. I got introduced to opioids because my 
grandmother uh, had a chronic had a chronic pain condition, and she would get 180 Vicodin a month. And when I would go visit, I heard that Vicodin was like the Eminem album. Uh, his first album has like Vicodin pills broken in half, and he rapped about like hydrocodone, which is Vicodin. And I was like, I'm gonna try that shit, and I fucking fell in love. That mm-hmm. with like a couple beers is like. So like describe the feeling of like because most people if they've never tried it like just give them an idea of like what it feels like to okay. be on painkillers and drunk. So uh, this this is for for my biochemical makeup because a lot of people just get sick, uh, nauseous from it and they hate it. For me, it is complete euphoria. All my fears and anxieties go away. I become a better version of myself in the, when I start taking them in the beginning. I'm social. I'm kind. I, uh, without the alcohol and just the hydrocodone, I actually am more productive because it quiets my mind and it actually has a stimulant effect on me uh, because of the dopamine that it releases in my brain. So I... Like, You're just a god. I, I, mean. I, I I'm it's. I if I could take a pill to forget uh, how good uh, it felt, how good it felt, I would pay thousands of dollars for it because yeah. I like. Once I took it, I'm like this. This is how I want to feel for the rest of my life. Was it what 21? No, this was at like 16, 17. Also, yeah. So I mean, you're not setting yourself up for uh, a good road after that, you know? Yeah. So at at Notre Dame, well, I tried cocaine at Texas first with the uh, line cook at my fraternity. and I were love you doing it in the hazement. Yeah, <laughs> I love that stuff too. Uh, cocaine allows you to drink more and like I not was black a, out, not yeah. black out, and I was also very confident, so it made me very good with talking to girls. Yeah, me too. I loved coke because it made me funnier. Yeah, me too. Um, and I started getting cocaine pretty and, and ecstasy pretty heavily at Notre Dame. Um, I was friends with people on the basketball team, and they knew people in gangs in Chicago that would bring coke to notre dame because they could sell shitty coke at high prices to the rich kids at notre dame and good business yeah and i I started probably doing cocaine like every weekend while drinking um in college in college and there's probably about a six seven month stint where i did that uh and keep in mind my grades were great throughout all this so there was no really I was getting more girls, like I was having fun, I was partying, everything was fun, uh, and it wasn't impacting my life negatively. Um, What really set me off was, and it's a funny story, I was at the University of Iowa visiting a girl that I uh, had a relationship with who actually had a boyfriend. Perfect. And uh, he was on the hockey team in Iowa, and he didn't know that, like, I hooked up with her and that we were were a thing. and we got along great, me and the boyfriend. And at the end of the night, I'm like, let's pretend like we're fighting over this person, uh, like as a joke. So we're in the front yard, like talking shit. And he got really into it and he tackled me. And there was a beer bottle on the ground. And it went three and a half inches into my back and an inch and a half over. And like, I was so drunk that like it didn't hurt that bad. So I'm like, oh, I'm bleeding. And, uh, like, I, I, I like... Not understanding yeah, the severity and, of and it. And they were like, holy shit, we need to take you to the hospital. I still wasn't taking it seriously. 
and they're putting pressure on it. And I had a fat dip in my mouth in the car. And uh, we we got to the the hospital and like was the beer bottle stuck in you? No, it wasn't. <laughs> okay. And, um, but it got real to me when like I started to get dizzy because of the blood loss and also because I was intoxicated. They couldn't give me any like anesthesia or anything, so they had to cauterize the wound, burn it from the inside shut to stop the bleeding. Let me see it. I'll show you. Ooh. It's kind of gnarly, bro. That's right in the middle of your back. It is. It's a, like a quarter inch from my spine. I'm lucky I'm not paralyzed or dead. Um, I've had near-death experiences After several times. After a fight with the hockey player. Yeah, and he felt so bad, and she ended up breaking up with him over that. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, and then she visited me during senior week. This is my senior year. Um, so anyways, it was so deep that they, ha- they couldn't stitch it up, so they had to p- pack it from the inside out every single day. So it was like... Uh, like exposed to my spine so the pain was horrific so they put me on oxycodone for like an entire month and for me like even though it was painful it was the fucking best right um and have you ever done oxy before uh yeah i had and it was my favorite right it's like a level above hydrocodone and i still had self-control at this point and I knew it was getting bad because my tolerance was growing, and I'm like, okay, I need to, like, back off to hydrocodone and then tramadol, which is a lower-potency opioid. So, like, I actually talked to the doctor to do that, uh, which uh, later on I did not have that control uh, because it became a real habit. So that's when I really got a taste for it was my... my, After the surgery, yeah. 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 So then, so I guess, like, I met you... Um, fuck, we were degenerates. We were in law school. I was. I had just gotten to law school. Your life is interesting. You, you're, you're Irish Catholic family, right? Yes. So, tell me a little bit about like your family and uh, so like what? How do they feel throughout all this? As far as your addiction and I mean, like, yeah. Bring it. Like I guess in the initial stages of it, did they even have any inclination? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, like, I'm a very candid person. I was, like, telling my dad I was doing blow and stuff like that. And he's like, you have heart conditions in your family. My dad was drinking uh, a lot at the time, too. Um, and it ter- and my mom had such an aversion to any substance abuse because her, my grandmother with the, with the painkillers was a heavy alcoholic. She would black out on vodka every single night. And this went on for her entire life, and my mom saw, like, my grandma fall downstairs, and just she would become incoherent, like, every single night. Right. And she died uh, complications for her lungs because she was a heavy smoker for a long time. She was so addicted to cigarettes, she would get up in the middle of the night and smoke. My dad uh, was a drinker. He was a Coors Light drinker. Not, like, a full-blown alcoholic, but... I found out in two weeks after my first job uh, that he was having an affair with a woman uh, for years while I was in college and, like, taking this woman on vacations and, like, spending our family's money. And so I was taking – I took a job that was paying low. It was, like, $36,000 a year, and I had student loan debt. Um, and I, this was two weeks out, so I was living with my parents. So – uh, I didn't want to see my dad or I was going to fight him. So I ended up living in a vacant house of my friend's parents who hadn't sold it yet on um, box springs, just getting wasted every night. 
and taking Adderall in the morning and putting on a suit uh, to pretend like everything was normal. And go to work. And go to work. Living out of an abandoned house. Yeah. It's crazy, bro. In August. Yeah. So then I met you like a month after that. Yeah. And then um, we had some crazy good times. (laughs) Dude. I've seen Mr. Biden uh, score. (laughs) The first time we ever actually got fucking crazy was when we were at what bar was Bar, that? Barley Knock, House. Knock Street. Knock Street Pub. R.I.P. I don't R. I. know if it's still it's, there. It's not, it's not open. Oh, okay. Um, so Dude, sad. that place was our stomping grounds. But it, you, it, it, you, you, you came up to me, I remember, and you were like, dude, I just I just, I just got a ground score. <laughs> no, that you're mixing up the stories. So oh, yeah, I, sorry. I, so in Knock Street Pub, uh, I was on cocaine, and there was these two guys that were messing with us. <laughs> And, right. what and uh, what happened was one of the guys ended up punching my roommate and I went, no one fucks with my roommate. And this guy had a ponytail and I grabbed his ponytail and slammed his face into the bar. <laughs> the bartender was like, what the hell, man? Yeah. He's, he's like, I saw the whole thing. This wasn't like your fault, but you got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yes. And we were like, let's go. Yeah. And and the second crazy story is I we were at this bar, Barley House, which is an SMU bar, and I found an eight ball of cocaine on the ground. And As you do there. Yeah. And I, you know, did my uh, iced tea CSI, like, uh. Taste it. Is, yeah. <laughs> to hold and, it up in the wind. Yeah. So I was like, I got ground coke. <laughs> We were like, don't do that. And, <laughs> and then you were like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go do that. Some other people par- partook, and we ended up uh, at a strip club until 5 o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah. Whoever lost that cocaine must have been so pissed. It was like $180 worth of blow. Oh, I'm sure. It was a fresh bag. Yeah, and it was good. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. That was, that was a hell of a time, man. And so, like, it's funny because that's what I remember. Um it was there was good times. It was fun. We were young. We were partying, and it was like it was whatever. We didn't. But have in the same breath, I would go over to your house, and we would talk about real shit too. Like, and you would show me all the stuff you'd be writing about, you know, your addiction and your stuff. Yeah, like, I, I wrote a book. I don't even know where it is anymore. Um, it's a word document. Yeah, so <laughs> it's the, not a book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. But it was like forty pages long. Yeah, it, it was, was good. I remember it. Yeah, and. uh it, it tackled the first time I overdosed. So this is a horrible story, and I'm glad I'm anonymous. So my grandmother died, and uh, I went to the pantry because she, like, was dying. This is the grandma who was an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. And I took all the drugs that were in the cabinet. Oh, you raided her, her, her pill patch. Yes. Her pill stash. And, 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 and it's not funny, but it's interesting. They had something called fentanyl in there, a fentanyl patch. Mm. Um. And I was fucked up at her funeral. I gave a, a speech about her. Wait, you were high at her funeral? Yeah. The, what, the uh, governor of Michigan was our, one of the pallbearers because he was a family friend. It was like... And it's I was a pretty like, high-profile funeral. And so you were... I remember you told me about just the pain and the yeah. emptiness and like the... Oh, and I found out my sister got raped on the same day I found out my grandmother died. Yeah, it's a, not a good combination for a drug addict usually. No, so I was in deep despair, and I, when I got home, I had the fentanyl patch on, and I also took a benzodiazepine and alcohol. And I woke up at 
I think 3.30 the next day, I had peed and shit myself, and I was covered in vomit. And, I mean, it was a full-blown overdose. So... Who found you? Me. Yeah, so you just survived it? I just survived it, and uh, I realized the gravity of it, and that's why I kind of wrote that thing. Yeah. And that was kind of, like, I swore off... uh, those drugs for for a little bit of my 20s i was still doing cocaine stuff like that but um in terms of downers and opioids i i saw i basically heath ledgered myself yeah yeah um so when what caught you from so you then you, you give it up for a while but what brings you back you know like i i guess as far as like because pain pills you're aren't you part of the class action lawsuit against purdue i am Okay, so and you're one of the, you know, fallouts of this of this uh, oxy crisis. I think I am. It is uh, it's terrible, and uh, it, I I I have uh, ambivalence about this because you know I went out of my way to get prescribed drugs and did them, uh, but I these products that they made are made to be highly addictive, and I got hooked. Um, do do we want to go into like, why they're addictive and why the pharmaceutical companies are just giving them to us? I mean, that, that, that's pretty obvious. I mean, money. If, if you look, if you see this uh, documentary about Jacqueline Cleggett in uh, Louisiana, oh, was that the pharmacist? Uh, no, it wasn't the pharmacist. I, I forget what it's called, but uh, Google Jacqueline Cleggett. She was basically an oxy shop. She would give. Uh, like 180, like you had 15 minute like appointments and like just a pill popper shop. Yeah, she was making millions of dollars. She was giving 180 80 milligram oxys. So describe to the people like the different levels of dosage um, and how you build up. So uh, for oxycodone, Percocet, which has a sentimentment in it, which is Tylenol, uh, starts out at 2.5 milligrams and 5 milligrams for like the lowest dose for the lowest dose and then so like if you're gonna have like major back surgery how what usually what what milligrams are they they'll give? probably give you the 10 milligram Percocets or they'll give you the uh, oxycontin which doesn't have the Tylenol in it which is a slow release version of it which and uh, soma which I think is like a muscle relaxer relax. that's a big one too. yeah and, and it has a synergistic effect and it feel that also feels great right but it goes up to 80 milligrams which if you don't have an opioid tolerance and you take 80 so 2.5 to 80 <laughs> yeah if you take 80 milligrams and you don't have a tolerance to opioids like you'll probably end up in the hospital just if you were to do one if, yeah just one and not have any like tolerance yeah exactly yeah. So, I mean, they knowingly did this. And uh, at first, they made it, uh, you could still crush the extended release and do these high dosages. And people will snort it, smoke it. Uh, some people inject it. Uh, that, like, if you look at, like, the Oxycontin Express, maybe that was what it was called. Uh, and what's happening in, like, the Rust Belt. These people just got well. It's like the '90s, but for white people, right? It's it like is. They, the, it's, the, it's you know, the, crack. the war on drugs. The crack is just now painkillers. It's painkillers. And it's in largely rural yeah. uh, white America now. Yeah, exactly. It's like wrecking it. Yeah, it's wrecking it, and it's it's horrible uh, because these people are, you know, they they don't have jobs because we basically outsource all of our uh, industrial stuff, which was their bread and butter. 
right. uh, and they don't have any other skills. Manufacturing so, yeah. and, and physical labor. Yeah. yeah. So the lack of jobs and uh, the ravaging opioid and methamphetamine, uh, you know, plague is just it's, – it's horrible. These yeah. And I mean are, it's like the – They've cracked down on it now, I think, a little bit, you know, as far as <clears throat> those pain pill shops aren't as easily accessible anymore. No. In Florida, it was bananas. Uh, I, I don't know the percentage, but, like, it was a high number of all uh, oxy prescriptions were in Florida because they had pain clinics where you could go in, they give you a shitload of them, and you literally just go next door and, and fill it. And back then they didn't have a tracking system, so you could do what was called dock shopping, and you could go to another pain clinic and get like a ton of them. So people would mm. be doing that, and also so just sell- going around to multiple places, and then they're either selling it or selling it. Yeah. And OxyContin is so like, what's the street value? So OxyContin is a dollar a milligram. So on the street, on the street. So one of those one pill that's 80, 80 milligrams is $80. So it's incredibly expensive. And so that's 80 bucks a pill. If you're getting 80 milligram oxys, you know, and that's how long does one pill last for a high? Um, You're an 80 gram milligram. Well, uh, the way that addicts do it, they, they make an instant release probably about three and a half hours. But people who are really, really addicted, and I never got to this stage, will take upwards of 30, uh, not 30, 300 to 400 milligrams a day. So you're looking at a 300 to $400 addiction a day. Yeah, so wow. this leads into the heroin ep- epidemic. Right. So like heroin is sort of a cheaper alternative to painkillers, right? It is. It is uh, probably a third of the price. Like what is heroin? Do you know? Yeah. It's diacetyl uh, morphine. It is a derivative of morphine and uh, it's basically the same. So it was created legally. It it was created by Bayer. Ah, of course. It it was actually... Is that the guy that changed the name of his company (laughs) because he was sued for like bunch of shady shit. like baby no bear aspirin man this is a long time ago and and this no is, i know bear's still around but they're a shady ass company they are <laughs> the first pill in the world that was manufactured was a heroin pill what year was that uh i think it was in the 18 or 1900s and it was for coughs because uh, opioids is a cough suppressant like codeine and you can get liquid hydrocodone it's a uh yeah, it's a cough suppressant, and uh, yeah, heroin was 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 legal, and they didn't think it. it it's well, a, that back in the day, they used to prescribe you cocaine, and like cannabis indica, you yeah. know, like yeah. All, weed, you know, and then like if, um, well, didn't opioids like even start during the Civil War? Yeah, they, they, I believe they had morphine back then. Yes, yeah, so which like, is derived from opium. So every so heroin comes from the poppy plant. So. What comes from the poppy plant are, are three main uh, drugs. Uh, well, opium is the precursor, but codeine, uh, morphine, and heroin. Heroin is a byproduct product of making codeine and morphine. So initially they started throwing it away because it, it was just like a byproduct. Right. Uh, and then they found out that it was a very potent uh, opioid, and uh, the majority of the poppy plants are well, they're initially grown in Af- Afghanistan, which we could get into. Our buddy's guarding it. Yeah. They, 
Our, our military literally guards poppy fields. And uh, now there's a large poppy growing uh, in South and South America and, and Mexico. So that's a pretty, I mean, so the allegation is that our military is funding up our pharmaceutical initiatives. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yep, it is. If that was actually true and the American public found out about it? <sighs> yeah. You think they would do anything? I don't. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> so the thing about heroin, um, the the Mexican production, they keep, they make a cheap product called black tar heroin, which is smokable and much cheaper. Uh, it's not as good as the Afghanistan heroin, but Mexico has begun to ship fentanyl, which I overdosed on, mm-hmm. which is a hundred times stronger. And that's what's than, been killing everyone it's recently, a, right? It's a hundred times stronger than heroin, and they actually have analogs called carfentanil, which is a thousand times stronger than heroin. So they've begun to cut the heroin with the fentanyl because it's a, coming from China. It's a cheap alternative and it's super potent. And that's where you are seeing the majority of the heroin addict deaths now. Uh, with fentanyl. Uh, yes. They're being cut with fentanyl. Yeah. And I have a buddy who lived in a halfway house and he knew 12 people who relapsed and died the same week as leaving their halfway house. It is an absolute epidemic uh the number of overdoses in the pandemic have spiked immensely oh i can't even imagine because like the media hasn't covered any of the actual fallout yeah uh disease suicide uh, suicide depression yeah mental health just shit for everyone yeah i mean the uh i haven't they haven't been like you need to exercise and stay healthy and stay happy no get the vaccine or you're going to die right and and you see that uh the majority of the people dying from covid are obese so like if you focused on your health it would be uh it would lower your Until the government incentivizes people to work out they're not going to do shit I, well I, they, they actually have a uh interest in keeping people unhealthy because of the healthcare lobbyists well, of course, if you can profitize an unhealthy person, then that's a great customer for life. Yeah, I know. And it, it's a burden on the taxpayers because a lot – we're the only country where the the poor are obese largely. And that's crazy, right? It's crazy because fast food is so cheap and available uh, that it's just like the one of the only alternatives because eating healthy is expensive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And taking time to cook. And healthily and also the is, is like a lot of people don't have like they're they're working multiple jobs yeah and the education behind health and nutrition is so lacking in those communities so a lot of these people are just uneducated on what they're putting in their bodies and like type 2 diabetes is a huge issue well that's because sugar i think big sugar is one of the biggest conspiracies that doesn't get going after you know like they, there's sugar in everything we eat and if you want to talk in the about, grocery stores and if you want to talk about addictive chemical sugar is and so you talk addictive. about getting kids hooked on it from the get. Kiko, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a big one, right? Like, sugar is everywhere and not gone after, like, drugs or alcohol yeah. or weed. You know, it's just kind of ignored. Or, or think about us in the 90s, man. We had Surge. Dunkaroos. Surge. <laughs> Uh, Surge was the best. Surge was, that was the like best. fifty six grams of sugar. That that was in the, a can of it. That was the OG energy drink, dude. Surge was like my childhood, man. That was a fucking awesome drink. I love the Surge. You Do remember, they still make that? 
No, it's discontinued. Remember the conspiracy? The FDA. That, <laughs> the, the conspiracy that Yellow Five, which was a dye in there, shrunk your penis. Or <laughs> I still think that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that which was is batteries, pickles, and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Everything has Yellow Five in it. I know. Or Blue Two, or what? It's like, what is yeah. this? You yeah, know? I know. Like, how is this synthesized? Now, are the rich people eating all the stuff they sell us? <laughs> I doubt it. (laughs) So they have their own food supply? Yeah, basically, Whole Foods is three times more expensive than... There it is, right? Whole Foods. Whole Foods, yeah. If you're like in the 1%, you can avoid all the shitty food by shopping there. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, I mean, and also, your physical health has such an impact on your mental health as well. For sure, it's all connected. Yeah, for someone who suffers from depression, if I exercise and I eat healthy, my depression is gone right yeah i mean just the fact that people don't understand a little vitamin d and sun on your face and like laughing is gonna be way better for your health right then you know what i mean it's just it's crazy because with the pandemic specifically you know i think you and i saw through the government overreach right and it was just it was like clear as day from the beginning it was clear as day i mean it was this is an exercise in uh compliance and we as Free thinkers and Americans have failed immensely. Uh, we basically, sh- first of all, all these bills that are being passed and, and the social norms now are taking liberties away at a rate that's higher than has ever been in hum- human uh, in American history. And once you give them up, you never get them back. You don't. Yeah, you you go five steps back, and you can maybe get two steps forward. I mean, the same thing happened with the Patriot Act yeah. back in nine eleven. Well, it just wiped out all the Fourth Amendment. Yeah, protections. it did. Um, so basically that gave the government the ability to be like, well, if we want to look into you enough, we can. Right. Yeah. And no matter who it is. Right. Yeah. And so it's just like when you have an overarching control over your society, I, 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 I've said this before. I think the United States is, is more propaganda fed into it than like China sometimes, you know, in a lot of degrees. And going back to the drug thing, we're one of like three countries that can advertise, pharmaceutical drugs on our TV. But not the vaccine. But not the vaccine. Because <laughs> it has side effects. So, yeah, <laughs> let, let me talk about that. Oh, you just got it, didn't you? I did. I got the Pfizer vaccine um, about, I think it was nine days ago. And my wife... See, guys, look, we've got a guy We've got a guy that says governmental overreach. He's still got the vaccine, though. Yeah, wife pressure. I mean... <laughs> The, the, He's a married man. Yeah, the, the the only side effect I have now is uh, my inner monologue is now Nancy Pelosi's voice, which is pretty unsettling. <laughs> What's she been telling you? Uh, she she told me that just uh, just trust the government. That, and uh, I was going to ask when you took your bandaid off, did Bill Gates? Did they have a Bill Gates tattoo underneath it? Uh, my for some reason my uh, laptop got upgraded to to Windows Vaccine, which is the the newest version. Oh, dude, I heard it's buggy though. <laughs> You've been seeing any blue screens? It it, uh, it it has a few side effects. What are they? Uh, it it just takes you to like the CDC website. <laughs> And, and and CNN, MSNBC, or Verify, yeah. you know, it's the Facebook's fact checkers. I trust them. If you have Twitter, automatically subscribe you to Rachel Maddow, Joe and, Biden, and Joe Biden, Biden. Biden. <laughs> it's Harris, only the Anderson proper Cooper. channels of authority. Yeah, yeah. 
And then it tells you, like, you need to, uh, you know, do your part to shadow ban the Candace Owens types and the, you know. Alex Jones. Alex Jones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, that guy, I think, is misinformation, honestly. Um, or he's a controlled agent. They wouldn't let him out there. Uh, I mean, I, I think they got probably got to him. He looks so bad right now, man. I think it's... Uh, they got to him. They got to Rogan. Because even, like, you can tell, like, they, he doesn't even talk about half the stuff he does anymore. Well, it's the last time he had Eddie Bravo on the podcast. Yeah, see? And that's the, that's the main teller and the kicker is that once you take the money, you're not allowed to have any fun anymore. Right. It, and, and I don't know how it works. I uh, know how it works. It's that they probably, once you get enough sphere of influence, they'll come to you, somebody, you know, and be like, look, you're hitting a little close to home. Yeah. You can have this implications if you continue down this path, or right. you can stop. And honestly, I think that's what happens um, with the large majority of people who gain influence. Right. And, and I think they probably explain the implications that we will find some way to cancel you. And we'll, feel, we'll, we'll kill your whole family. Or we'll cancel your family, too. You yeah. Know? And so no one wants the onus of that pressure. You know, once yeah. they're like, all right, do I continue being a fucking crazy asshole or do I... Tone it down or... Join them yeah. and make money with them. Right. And, I mean, it's an easy decision for a lot of these people. I mean, the news anchors make tens of millions of dollars a year. Right. You got Molester Holt. Uh, I mean, Lester Holt. Yeah. Molester <laughs> Holt. Lester Holt. Oh. Making how many? You know, Brian Williams is still on air. Brian Williams was the commencement speaker at my graduation. He's an honest guy. <laughs> yeah, he was totally in a helicopter that was getting shot at. Uh, the, the fact that big education, uh, which that in and that itself, just goes to show you that I honestly think it's like this aristotic class that rules us. You know, like it's all tied in. It's all these people that are rich or you know connected. Yeah, they whether they have an R or a D next to their name, they're all in on the same game. Yeah, I'll tell you a personal story. So my uh, best man at my wedding, who went to Notre Dame, he's very very well off. Um, and his parents own a property in the Virgin Islands. Where is he from? He's from Chicago. Okay. And his dad uh, was a Notre Dame grad, and his mom was a St. Mary's, which all go, which is all girls' school next to it. And they're they're great people. Um, but at their property in the Virgin Islands, a yacht showed up, and on their beach, people started making a bonfire. And they were like, "Okay, this is a private property. Let's go down and check it out." The people that were on the beach were Oprah, Bruce Springsteen, and Paul McCartney. <laughs> I wonder what they were up to. I think they were making a little trip back from a little St. James. Oh, you know, what's, what is it? what's down there near the Virgin Islands? Uh, it's in the Virgin Islands. Oh, that's right. Isn't that uh, fucking, what's Epstein's Island? It's Epstein's Island. It's a hip... Mm. Hops skipping a jump away from uh, where, where they live. So uh, I don't want to make and any you know assumptions. Like, you know this guy, and you and he, he told you this. He told me this. He told me this a long time ago before, like, really the hardcore conspiracies about, like— Oh, this is, like, pre-Q yeah, you know, and all that he, shit. He told me this maybe eight, nine years ago. Oh, Jesus. Okay, so, like, assuming that it's true, what the fuck are those three people all doing together? Yeah, what do they have in common? I mean, I see Bruce Springsteen. They're all celebrities. I mean, then they have a lot of money, but other than that, I yeah, don't know. They I, might just be friends. I, I'm, 
I'm, I think I'm missing someone else. There's some other big person there, but those are the three. I remember him and Bruce Springsteen. Donald Trump. Guitar. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be amazing. Well, dude, he, I saw, I, I've just seen pictures with him and, and just Lane Maxwell and, and, F, and Epstein. And it yeah. makes me think that he's all in on it too. Maybe. You I, know, yeah, I mean, I he mean, wished her well after she was arrested. That was so weird, man. <laughs> What the fuck? Why would you wish that piece of shit? Well, her father, wow. right, Matt Robert Maxwell. I mean, his guy was a major. He was in the Mossad. Yeah, which is Israeli intelligence. Yeah, and he ran a a, a publication, like a news publication, news publication uh, that he, would fuck up. Like it would. Uh, didn't he get like tossed overboard by MI6? I mean, that's he, kind he, of the story. He uh, died in, next to his yacht. He drowned next to his yacht, and even Ghislaine Maxwell like said that there was some. Mossad influence in his death. Hmm. So I mean, kind so of, it's like what's. But then I hear you know I listen to Rogan and even Tim Dillon and they talk about this ad nauseum and they're just like you know we've got you know what but what are we going to do about it? You know we know that all these people hang out. We know Jeff Epstein had an island. We know that there was shady shit. We know about the New Mexico ranch. But it seems like he still was just like a low level guy, you know, like what the, how deep does this go? Epstein had one client. Wes Wexner. Wexner. That was his only client. And, uh, Peter Schiff talked, who was a finance guy. Didn't he take over as, uh, didn't Robert Shapiro, who was Kardashian's father, represent Wexner as his attorney? I don't recall. That could be the case. I think that's what happened, and then Epstein took over once Shapiro died, and I, I, that facilitated like the new. So like the 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 Kardashians are much more involved. They're not just out of nowhere. They're they're a Chris Jenner was. Uh, I can't remember who her dad was, but they're not nobodies, you no. know. And like yeah. they're connected in all of this too. Yeah. I love the joke. It, it made Bruce turn his fucking gender, you yeah. know, so God knows what's going on in that household. Yeah, I know. And Bruce ran over, or Caitlin ran over someone and killed him, and they didn't <laughs> yeah, right. even bring it up. <laughs> you just got a free pass on that. Right. So Jeffrey Epstein, like this uh, high-level finance guy, Peter Schiff, talked to him, and within like 10 minutes, it, I think it was Peter Schiff or it was Eric Weinstein or somebody – and he knew within 10 minutes that the guy had no idea what he was talking about in finance. And this guy was supposedly – he was a billionaire. How did he get all that money? Why was this – he? why do you have only one client, which was Les Wexner? Uh, and we could – we are straying from our topic, but this is interesting shit. I mean it's it's interesting in that – that that none of it makes sense and none of it is allowed to be talked about. Yeah. Um, or if it is, it's like people are like, oh, well, whatever. You can't – there's no solid proof of anything. There, so. But, I mean, like, Bill Clinton flew 26 times. They were friends. Right. Uh, Every Everyone who's anyone. I mean, all of Hollywood, I mean, everyone's name is on that book. So it Bill, would make sense that none of this is ever going to come out if – because then literally every celebrity that you grew up loving – Every movie that you watched would no longer – you would feel like you had just been duped if you found out all these people were actually horrible people. Right, exactly. And I mean – But I think they are. Yeah, I mean if you just connect the dots on it, on it it's just – it's mind-blowing. So, so it's like – because 
you know, when you go to these rich people parties, you know, you've probably been to a couple of them. And, you know, it's yeah, just I like, have. it's, they bring out <laughs> briefcases full of just drugs, you know, and it's just like, at the upper echelons, are they bringing out briefcases full of people? Like, what the fuck is going on I don't at know. these kind of parties? If you just burn out, the, you've tried every drug imaginable, and you're... You have more money than everyone. Yeah, your, your pleasure, like, like... A threshold so high, like what's the next step? So I guess it's it's crazy though that you can never just have enough, you know, not to be a sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> why? 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 Like if I had a billion dollars, like you would never hear from me. Exactly. I would just do my own thing. And it makes you wonder what these people have, you know, like uh, like as to why they have all that money and, and access. And obviously, like. It's a way, like, are these parties a way, a way to uh, get people to do shady shit, and then they have dirt on them? I think that's pretty apparent. Yeah, and I mean, I think that the blackmail aspect of it is like so prevalent and um, not spoken about. You know, it's just kind of like, but I think that blackmail runs the world um, at the upper echelons, like especially in corporations, right? Like, you're getting multinational level control issues from multivarious factors of high money influence. So right. obviously when that's going on, I mean, I just feel like the, the world's a chessboard and like, they're just going to, they're, they're sitting back and they're wondering how we're all going to just kill each other eventually. You know, it's yeah. at this point, it just looks like that to me. Like if you zoom out of all the countries and then you, you, you see who controls which countries and like what they're all doing, you yeah. know, and then specifically as it relates to this lockdowns and the great reset and the you know all that nonsense that we keep hearing about it's just it seems more and more like and the, <laughs> the fed, conspiracy theorists were right you know and it's the just, feds just printing money and these uh, bailout bills have so much pork barrel oh, spending we're going to have just run away inflation soon i mean it's going to be it's going to be fucking crazy. I think they're, they're just trying to kill the fiat system. I think, and they're doing a goddamn good job of it. Which is, I mean, if you think about it, if they wanted to reset it, then that would make sense. You have to crash it, and then if you, because I, theoretic, I mean, not theoretically, it's pretty much evident that we're going to be moving towards a digital currency type deal. Uh, yeah. You know, where everything we thought about money changes well and here's the thing about blockchain uh in in the ledger everything is locked in and it's pub- on the public ledger so like every transaction you make uh is locked in stone and you can reference it now it's it's anonymous now but if we turn from a, gov- a government uh like part of it they, they'll do the same thing but just have uh view into every transaction you're making so no more anonymity with with money uh uh, potentially i mean that that's that's the way that uh you know well that just seeds control i think that if they did that they would need to sell it in a way where people don't own things they just rent them from the government yeah and people will buy it people will buy into that system because it'll make them comfortable, but like... Like everyone will just live in a small apartment and probably just spend their time in the virtual world that they create soon, you know what I mean? Right, because it's going to be more... Sim- like you'll eat, you'll have a kitchen, outside. but you'll never leave your place because you don't have to, you just you live in the virtual world. Yeah, I mean, look at Amazon. We, we can have anything that we need shipped to our house like within a day, which is... Or crazy. the same hour, you know? It's like, it's depending on where you live. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, if you're in a large mature... I remember place. when we were kids, you'd have to wait three weeks for anything in the mail. 
And not have tracking. Exactly. Yeah. You just never knew where it was. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild, man, because, like, I talk about that ad nauseum, you know, how we were the generation with, like, skipping headphones. And, you know, it was – we were the, the last generation with a foot in analog and a foot in digital. We – are the last generation that, <clears throat> that, that will be alive that says I was alive before the internet. Exactly. That's what yeah. I was like say. imagine if we were our grandparents' age, what that you know how it will sound. Yeah. Yeah. These guys were alive before the internet. Yeah. Like it won't. They won't be able to comprehend it. And I, and they can't. <clears throat> excuse me. They can't really now at this point. Right. Yeah. And I think that kids today are so fucked because they're not even like real you know you're not it's all tablet learning now and and i I couldn't even imagine trying to be a real human being with with the way they've set up social interaction how do they especially virtualized school right now how do you build that natural uh brain development of dealing and interacting with other people it Let, seems like they're stunting us on purpose, man. It, man I mean, it's, at, it's, at this point, it just—it's like they don't want anyone to interact. They don't want you to be near each other. Yeah, they don't want you to read people's emotions, and like that's what makes people happy—is seeing other faces. And yeah. like that, it all seems to me like it's just a fucking ploy to get everyone to to be miserable. Dude, I talked to my boss uh, in corporate America. I can't imagine managing these little shits when 20 years from now when I have to be their boss oh god I mean like it's I don't even want to think about it you know because they're going to turn on us yeah (laughs) they are once the digital Gestapo is fully set up I honestly believe it's going to be well and they're going to they're about to turn society on each other with this vaccine thing so I see it you know how they're they're framing it to where it's going to be the people who can participate and not yeah and that's going to fucking fail here yeah, it will. Epically. Epically. And the that, media won't even know how to spin it, but they're going to be like, fuck, I mean, people are, like, if you're going to say you, you got to get a vaccine in order to go into a business, then that's a very calculated risk. It is. For sure. And, and traveling, you're going to probably need proof that you have it, especially internationally. It's, and, and Dr. Fauci says that uh, we need 90% vaccine rate to get herd immunity. Uh, no, I mean, I'm going to call bullshit. Nonsense. Yeah, it's nonsense. And I honestly think that if you've had the virus, that's going to help get us to herd immunity as well. And like we don't, and so like this whole vaccinate or die is yeah. weird to me. You know, yeah. like let's let's come up with some other therapeutic treatments as well. Like why do we only focus 100 percent of our efforts on fighting this thing with a vaccine yeah why not talk about zinc and vitamin d and all of that <laughs> exercise yeah ex- <laughs> exercise no you stay home you're supposed to stay home and just get sick man. yeah like i don't know like it's it, it to me it was just like this is a this is a control mechanism it is mass social distancing you know it's just like and it's crazy to me to see how quickly people wanted to put ball gags in their mouths yeah, and then post about it on Instagram. You know, it was just like the virtue signaling that still persists. It still, fucking still, drives me insane. Like people with their profile pictures wearing a mask, or like when they get engaged and they're like, "I've never seen my partner without a mask," and it's just like, "What the fuck, man?" Yeah, what the fuck is wrong with people today? And babies developing, like oh, not seeing I, people's no, faces, talk about not developing because yeah. I've had friends that had a kid and they haven't allowed the kid to be around anybody. So the, no one's been allowed to hold the child other than them yeah. for a year and a half. 
And it's like, this is kid going to be normal? Because he hasn't been properly socialized, you know? No. And, like, they haven't interacted with other children on a consistent basis. They're right. not going to daycare. They're not getting exposed to germs. Right. Normal people aren't breathing on them. Like, this is what we're doing here is we're in a clown world where we're just going to be in a bubble. And yeah. that's not going to be the way to get back. No. And uh, they keep <clears throat> pushing out what's going to be you know, us going back to normal, like people were saying September. How is that even possible? No, I mean, they're moving the goalposts. Like they, they've got it on a fishing pole with, you know, out in front of you 10 feet. And they're just, they continually keep recasting it as far as, oh yeah, no, this is, this is, this is what's going to indicate. Cause I don't even read anything in the news about positive tests, deaths. All I hear about is just how we all have to get vaccinated or we will not go back to normal. And that makes me know that it's fucking Nonsense. It's I nonsense. Mean, yeah, it is. Because, like, if that's what you're going to – if Joe Biden's going to come out on July 4th and be like, not enough of you have been vaccinated, you're not allowed to party. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, and, and here's the deal. The longer it goes on, the more this feels normal for, pe- for people, and they'll have some kind of Stockholm syndrome. I've heard people be like, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't trust the vaccine. I don't care if it fucks me up in 10 years. I will take it just to go back to normal now. That makes me know we've lost. Yeah, totally. And so, like, when people are just like, oh, well, I'm just going to get it because I don't want the social stigma or I don't want the negative implications of someone judging me, when that is the prevailing attitude, we have lost. And, I mean, I I gave in to peer pressure for, for my wife. Why, w- why would I need and so, the like, vaccine? And so, like, if it were to give you an autoimmune disorder in five years, would you hate yourself? Uh, yeah, I would. Or no, you have no recourse. You or, can't or, sue him, buddy. Yeah, or sterilize me or what, whatever. Um, but, yeah, it's just like my wife's going to get pissed if I don't do it. Like I just rolled over, which, yeah, you know, a lot of people will do that. And that's – I'm seeing it. Um, and that's like where I'm like, all right, so they're going to make all those people then turn on the people that choose not to be like them. Right. It's going to it's gonna divide us even more than how heavily divided we are now. Oh, because it spans political lines. There's hardcore anti-vaccination, you know, or not anti-vaccination people, but hardcore anti-COVID vaccination people on both sides. Yeah. Of Republican and Democrat. Right. And especially, like, minorities. Like, they don't trust the government, especially after, like, the Tuskegee experiment and all that shit. Yeah, and, I mean, Iran-Contra bringing coke in and ruining the inner cities <laughs> of crack. They know. They know who's doing all this, too. Like, right. those communities are aware. You know, I was down at the GameStop, and I was asking these ladies, and she's like, it's the government. Like, she, these people are aware of it, yeah. you know? And so they don't trust them. And so they're going to incentivize them. They're going right. to start paying people to get their vaccinations and shit like that. It's just going to be crazy to me. Or tax credits or, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be – and that makes me wonder why. Why the push to get all of this all of this stuff done so fast, you know? And what's, what's the real fucking endgame here? Like enough of us get vaccinated, but if you're going to still have uh, – it's still going to, you still can get sick even after you get the vaccine and you have to wear a mask and distance. Like what's the fucking point? Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? Like to me, that's what the only issues I had with it is like, a, I can't sue anyone if it fucks me up. Like yeah. that was a huge issue that I had as a lawyer is that they've given complete liability protections to every single one of these pharmaceutical companies. And they're, none of them are authorized for the FDA. They're just authorized for emergency use. Right. So, it's still an experiment, in my opinion. It is. Yeah. It is. And I'm glad you signed up. Yeah. Because now I get to watch you. You get to watch me. 
I'm going to get it eventually, man. I just don't know. I want to wait and I want to see, you know, because like there's no long-term efficacy results or like trials. And so like I see people that are just like, they hear all this. They're like, "Uh uh 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 I don't want to be seen as someone that's not compliant. Yeah. And that is the major, that is the main thing I'm worried about is that people are, are more scared of, of how they will be judged than, yeah. than their own health. Dude, it is playing out just like 1984. It's, so it's more like Brave New World. I yeah, think, you know? I, I agree. Like it's, it's more like people are, are willingly marching into their own slavery. And while and they think that they'll be more free, I honestly think that it's just going to go the way of savages versus the people that submit right um you know or it's going to create a bifurcated society here pretty shortly no, no doubt i mean that's the, that's the where you have unvaccinated areas and vaccinated areas like is that what america becomes if the big cities are all people that that submit and and get vaccines and they can go places and go in the grocery stores and then all the rural areas all these people are like fuck you and so they just become like what happens to those people well, here's the flip side on where it might be positive. People might be so divided that states become more autonomous. And, and you look at Texas opening up. The the attitude uh, across the country is not um, – it, it it's not it's not consistent at all like texas is like fuck you and california is like i'm gonna stay inside double for, mask for yeah, well, as, to, a, as a response to texas opening yeah. we're gonna double or triple mask yeah Ch- chinafornia man like gavin newsom <laughs> is a authoritarian douchebag oh yeah with his vineyard open <laughs> and he's violating his own rules yeah, every get, day and go, i mean so like that's french what french laundry is, is like but the the, the the mass exodus of people bring all of those their politics with them to wherever they move. And I don't know if I understood that. Right. Because Texas is going to go blue here soon. I know. It, it's a bummer. It's like when they run Lena Hidalgo for governor against Matthew McConaughey. And this is the clown world that we're going to live in. I know. It's like, dude, you let, you left California for a reason. Uh, don't forget why you left. And they keep voting the same way. Once yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. You know, I think that's an interesting topic that, it could be a whole nother podcast on its own, but switching gears back, I didn't. We 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 did take a little path detour there. Yes, uh, we did. I wanted to stay on po- on uh, point though, um, which is I I, I definitely want to bring people into the like mindset of what it is to be a drug user. I think yes. that it's it's going to be beneficial because um, I know for me personally, like. I never touched uh, cocaine until I was 26, and so I never tried it. You know, before that, I didn't have any. I, I couldn't afford it. Number one, so yeah. Um, yeah, me neither. But and also, but like, I, I never wanted. I never had any desire to do it. I I would only drink. You know, alcohol was my main thing, and so once I started dabbling in like hard drugs and I had a a major neck surgery in 2013. So I was prescribed Soma, uh, Oxy and hydrocodone. And so like that led me to get some pain pillar, you know, like pain pill addiction as well. And so when I would keep going to my pain management doctor to get hydrocodone, I would still continue to drink on that, you know? Right. And so and then if you do hydrocodone, cocaine, and alcohol, I that's, mean, a, that's a speedball. 
It's pretty much what I was doing. Yeah. Like a lot. Yeah. Towards the end of my run, you know, which was the worst of it. You know, like I, it didn't start like that. It built up towards that. And, you know, it ended with me in the closet ripping lines uh, at four in the morning, just hoping I would die. Yeah. You know, and like I would wake up at 6 p.m. and uh, and uh, my girlfriend would get home from work and she'd be like, why aren't you out of bed? And like that was my life for a few months of just the perpetual cycle of, of blacking out every single night, drinking a 12 pack, doing at least a gram and then hoping you die the next day. Yeah. And you feel like death the next day. You feel like a vampire after alcohol, cocaine, hangover. Oh, uh, God. I mean, every day. I, and it's it's why two and a half years later from not having that hangover, you know, it's it's over two and a half years now. But it's it's what keeps me from ever wanting to do it again. It's just the thought of that feeling of how you feel after doing that. Yeah, it's like the Red Hot Chili Peppers song. I don't ever want to feel like I did that day. I totally relate to that. Oh, yeah. I'm too big of a pussy to get addicted to alcohol and cocaine because I can't stomach those hangovers, so uh, you're a, a little bit more of a outlaw badass than me. Thanks, bro. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that's kind of like... So that was, you know, I like Tim Dillon because he was an alcohol coke guy, right? Yeah, like, he was. So we got... Like, I relate to that because like you said like we were talking last night even at the show um because you can still you have some you you have some drinks and yeah. uh as someone that's done you know but like heroin is not alcohol no <laughs> uh, it's not alcohol in moderation um but tell me like a little bit about how uh well first explain to me how you get to the bottom okay do you want me to start from the gradual or the bottom part I mean, just like, like lead us into how you get to a point where you turn your life around. But I want to know how you get there. Okay. Um, well, for me, it was very simple uh, in a lot of regards because I had a hard end to it. So I was uh, drinking every day and taking hydrocodone and on a uh, antidepressant called Wellbutrin. And uh, I found out after the fact that Wellbutrin is hepatoxic when you drink with it. And obviously the Vicodin piece uh, has Tylenol in it. And that's also hepatotoxic. So during my first year of marriage, I was uh, heavily addicted to that stuff. I actually started going to therapy during this period because I knew I had a problem and I wanted to learn how to use drugs just recreationally and responsibly, which uh, turned out, (laughs) yeah, which turned out to be impossible for me. So I was a, was a consultant and I was on the road for like 40 weeks out of the year and I was very depressed. So I had a doctor prescribing me Xanax and uh, hydrocodone. So I would blow through uh, 60, uh, 10 milligram hydrocodone, probably like nine days or whatever. So it wasn't enough for me. So 60 hydrocodone over nine days. Yes. So that's like five a day. Wait, no, I don't know how to do math. It's like seven a day. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Six and a half. So that's a bunch, man. I mean, I would never take more than like one. Yeah. And the majority, like, I'd, so for me, uh, the hydrocodone, like, would help me work if I took like 10 milligrams, like, twice. And then I would, at night, I would take, like, around, uh, over a course of like three hours, like, maybe 40 milligrams and drink, like, four or five drinks and just be 
you know, in heaven. But those nine days, there's still 21 days in the month. Uh, so I learned how to get onto the bl- uh, black market on the dark web. So mm, okay, uh, so tell us about that. I mean, Jesus, like no one has exposure to that. Yeah. You know? So how you do it? You want to hear? I don't how? really want to know how to do it. Okay. Yeah, I won't do that. Did. So <laughs> essentially, you can get drugs shipped to your house like within two or three days, and anything you could get a kilo of cocaine, heroin. Really? Whatever drug you can possibly think of. And it, and it's like Yelp. The drug dealers have Yelp on the quality of their products. So you know exactly what you're getting and with, like, the trusted vendors. But uh, those drugs are really expensive. So I was getting Oxy, uh, Dilaudid, which is hydromorphone, which... Um, Dilaudid. Yeah, Dilaudid. Dilaudid. That's uh, that's like what anesthesiologists give you before surgery, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, it's um more powerful than heroin, and I would ne- I was never an intravenous user. I would uh, I would snort it. It's extremely expensive, so I would be on the road, and I would get these packages shipped to my hotel under a pseudonym <laughs> of one of my friends who is also a drug addict. Um, you would use his name? Yeah, I'm, an, I'm, I'm such an <laughs> asshole right now. <laughs> Okay, but, so you would get just dark web drugs shipped to your hotel rooms. Yeah, hotel rooms and house when I knew my wife would not be around so I could pick them up. Right. Uh, so That's a good drug addict. Yeah, so th- this proceeded for probably about two years, and uh, the the pills were getting too expensive, and heroin is significantly cheaper. How much cheaper? Like a third to a half, depending on the. So quality. it's like eighty dollars for an oxycodone pill. How much would it cost to get high? The same equivalent of high on heroin. You can get like a gram of like mid-range heroin for about the same price, and the um, dosage for heroin is like around thirty milligrams. So what does heroin even look like? Uh, it comes in a couple forms. So from Afghanistan, uh, it's a brown powder. Uh, the purest form is is a white powder. Uh, what you can get mainly in Texas is uh, black tar heroin, which is uh, it's from Mexico. It's from Mexico. It's not processed as well, but it's a sticky tar that's uh, usually meant to be smoked. If you inject it intravenously, it really fucks up your veins. So you smoke it off a tinfoil, and it smells like vinegar. Mm. Uh, so, and when you freebase off a foil, it's instant euphoria. It's like run me through what that high is like. Uh, that uh, way of administration, your uh, whole body goes completely. So you warm. just like you, you 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 have to be somewhere where you you can stay stationary, right? Uh, no, not well for me, not really, but for some people, yes. Uh, so when you they call it chasing the dragon, um, you probably like once I had heroin, I smoked it. I had to do it all day. And I would usually end up throwing up because I was so fucking high at the end of the day. It makes you nauseous. My uh, pupils were non-existent. When you're on, do you eat? Uh, not really. I, I had no appetite, no sex drive. It makes you very constipated. I, I would not shit for like four days, and then like sometimes you'd almost have to like dig the shit out of your ass because it was so compacted. Jesus, it was. It's brutal. I, I and I didn't care. Because it was so 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 euphoric. So, anyways, I got I knew the road was killing me, so I uh, took another job with a consulting firm, thinking like this would help. 
but my uh, patterns continued with the dark web. What eventually happened with the dark web is they did what was called an exit scam, where the people running the site basically uh, bail with all the money that's uh, sitting in escrow and in your balance. So Which is usually like digital currency, right? Yeah, like it's, Bitcoin. it's Bitcoin and Litecoin and stuff like that. So they had run off with millions of dollars worth of cryptocurrency. So I lost a couple thousand dollars like that. So I still had to feed my addiction. I ended up going uh, um, independent with my own consulting firm, and I could work remotely. So I know way to get heroin. So the way I started to get it is I would drive on my lunch break to this one of the sketchiest part of a Hispanic neighborhood. Go up in to, Dallas. In Dallas, go up to random people that looked homeless or like. They just needed money and say, hey, I'll give you $20 if you help me buy heroin. And obvi- I, I, I'm very, uh, like, un- unassuming, like, fratty-looking <laughs> white guy. So they immediately thought I was a cop. So the way I showed I wasn't a cop is I have a three fifty seven uh, Magnum, which is not a cop gun. And I had it in my pants like a gangster. And I'm like, don't worry about the gun. You know, I'm just, I just have it for protection. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not a cop. And it worked 90% of the time. They trusted so, you. Yeah. So I, I would have, I had an MS-13 gang member one time in my car to get heroin. And I would sit in the car and they would go up to the trap house and buy it and come back and bring it to me. And this would take like... My lunch break, it would probably take like only like an hour, hour and a half. One time I picked up this homeless lady and uh, she was a crack addict. And she's like, okay, I'm going to go to a place where I can score rock and heroin and, and use your $20 to buy the crack. So she bought the crack and the heroin. And she, I was going to take her back to her location and she's like, do you mind if I smoke? Uh, I was so fucked up. I'm like, I don't care. So she whips out a crack pipe and starts, like, hotboxing my car with crack. And I had never seen or smelled crack before. Uh, Jesus. She offered it to me. I was not interested because I had to go back to work, and I had never smoked crack before. So I'm glad I didn't. Uh, Didn't take her up on it. No. So, I mean. Yeah, but, like, what's going through your head when you're like, fuck, I'm, uh. I'm in, a, I'm in my car with a crackhead in, I was, in my lunch I, break. I was like you. I'm like, I didn't care if I died or not. Yeah. Like, uh, it was... In that moment, you don't. No, and, and the high of heroin, uh, I love it so much, and I hate to say it, the way my brain reacts to it, I love it more than any, anyone in my life uh, when you're on it. Um, so, it seems to be the trend. I mean, that's why people lose everything to go chase it you know yeah and i mean my story is not uh very individualistic this happens to a lot of people that get hooked on painkillers they can't get them anymore heroin's cheap and they get start doing heroin even like you know suburban housewives this this is happening more and more yeah so i mean i did that i don't know maybe 15 20 times uh because i was doing you go by yeah down in the ghetto of dallas pretty much yeah so, like, did you uh, did you ever run into any like crazy people while you were trying to buy, or like, did you ever try to get robbed? Or oh, uh, I never got robbed. I did have this one lady that came up in my car, and she was like, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, give me 25 cents. And I was like, okay. Uh, and she looked at me and goes, hell no, N-word. And she was white. She's like, that's not what this bitch needs today. <laughs> so she got 25 cents out of me and yelled at me because, like, she didn't want this, like, preppy white guy to buy and have her buy heroin. Oh, good. And uh, that was <laughs> fucking hilarious. I'm like, okay, this is where my life is. I'm having a white person call me the uh, yell at me the N-word and say I'm that, being called the racial epithet by someone not, of my own race. That's not what the bitch needs today. Yeah. I was, I was like, And I was just like, okay. And I drove off. And I was like, okay, no heroin today. Yeah, man. So, like, tell me about, um, I guess, so, like, you're, cause you got married and, like, obviously still dealing with addiction and yeah. I mean obviously that, that's got to put a pressure on your marriage you know and um it's it's just it's a lot to unpack I know with my girlfriend I mean that's she's really the only reason I was alive is she would come over and make sure that I was uh fed and you know yeah. like like it was crazy because I was I was in that mindset of just didn't care about anyone I let yeah. you know the mail stacks higher and higher every day and yeah. you just start ignoring your phone and ignoring people reaching out asking where you are and you isolate yeah and i mean that's the the loneliest part of the disease is how isolating it is i think and like it's and when i went to aa you know they talk about how it is it's the most isolating lonely uh disease that there is it's a a disease of despair it is yeah and not and and it's funny to me now that we're in you know I I don't partake anymore, but um, it, it truly comes down to one like living in the now and one moment at a time, you yeah. know. And uh, it's hard to step out of the perpetual cycles that you keep creating for your soul. It's an, it's incredibly difficult, um, and that can be with anything. It can be with food, yeah, can, sex addiction, gambling, gambling, oh. sports gambling. You see this with kids in their Robin Hood stuff. Yeah, you know that's addiction. I, I fucked around with that too, and I noticed it gave me the same sort of like fixation. When you have an addictive personality, like, and I'm same with gambling in me. Uh, like, I love it. Um, I don't do it very often. It's not something. That oh, me too. I was in a full blown. I was losing thousands of dollars a week during my addictions on sports gambling yeah. as well. And so I was, I had a bookie. I had, uh, a terrible sense for who was going to win games. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't care. No, I was making money and I could afford to lose. And it was before I just stopped working and being a complete drug addict. Like I yeah. was like in the middle of, of kind of like, I had just, my wife had just left. I was like, alright, fuck it, I'm gonna divorce, I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. And there's that mindset. Yeah. And it was just spiral down, uh, eventually, obviously, but it's like, it's crazy that when you feel like you've got a handle on it, or you start bargaining with yourself. The bargaining is... You know, it's 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 the big one. And, and I admit, uh, I have so much, somewhat of a bargaining complex now, uh, because I'm not fully sober, um, but... I'd like to get into my sickness and what led me to, to yeah, to man. End so my like, addiction. so like, what uh, you know led you to to see the light? Okay, so 
as I said, I was getting sicker and sicker because I was on Wellbutrin taking hydrocodone and uh, drinking. So I started like throwing up like in the mornings and this is about six months into my marriage. And like, I'm like, I don't know what's wrong. And I would like start to get manic episodes and like super depressive episodes and it got worse and worse. And then, uh, I went on a 12 day cruise through the Mediterranean. So obviously a lot of heavy drinking. I had Xanax with me. I did not have any opioids, um, but I was getting sicker and sicker. And the, mind you, the Wellbutrin was causing the liver damage too. And combining it with alcohol. Yeah, yeah. And, and I could go on and on about sketchy psychiatrists or bad psychiatrists that are pill pushers. And uh, but like I don't, I want to stay uh, on point here. So uh, we went on the cruise, and I was so sick that like I had to stay in my room and totally miss Sicily. I was eating delicious with your wife, just you and your wife. Just me and my wife. It was our anniversary trip, first year anniversary, first year of hell for her. Um I, I was ha- having contracts getting cut for reasons that weren't addiction related. Uh it was just it was rough. Building up. And, yeah. and we bought a house too within 6 months of getting married, so I was like dead broke. Um so we get in the cab to go to Rome, and my wife's like, your eyes are yellow. And I'm like, ah, I'm just tired. So jaundice. Yeah, so, like, I, I started to get real, like, like manic. Manic. And, yeah. like, I, I woke up after taking Zanx on the plane, and, like, I looked at the lady next to me. I'm like, I went to bed in Rome, and now I'm in the United States. And I was, like, acting really weird. And... Uh, <laughs> We're going down, lady. Where am I? Yeah. Yeah, so you get back to the U.S., right? And I remember you – I remember specifically you were Snapchatting me during this. Yes. During the last hurrah. And I I was like, dude, you look bad. Yeah. And uh, you sent me a picture. You you took in a shit and it looked like uh, fucking – Albino shrimp. Oh, God. So that was just your liver failing, right? Yeah. So what happened was in my – So you got back to America from – Yeah. So I, I had a day off of work and my wife didn't. So uh, I was in my manic state and uh, jonesing for opioids. I went to a my my doctor, who's a dipshit, who I uh, was able to manipulate to get the pills. And I got him to give me Soma also, which is a, a sedative muscle relaxant. So uh, I don't remember doing this, but I ended up taking like – a bunch of hydrocodone, Tylenol PM, which has Benadryl and acetaminophen in it, Xanax, and the Soma. And my wife went to work and was texting me, and I wasn't responding. And uh, she's like, something's wrong. So she went home, and she found me unresponsive. So they Shit. took me to the primary care physician. And, Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. The the guy who gave me the pills. And... Uh, my junkie mind, I, I don't remember a whole lot of this, but I took the hydrocodone out of her purse and stashed it in her car. And she's like, where are the pills? I just That's had such a them. good addict mind. Be like, you're setting yourself up for later just in case. And, and I'm literally dying as this is happening. Right. And uh, the doctor, he's a bad doctor. I, I should sue him too. Uh, he's like, he just took too many pills. Like, just have him go sleep it off. And they're like, no, there's something wrong. So I went to urinate, and I couldn't urinate, and I started to vomit. In the doctor's office. In the doctor's office. So they took me to the ER. Your wife. Yes, yeah. and my mother. And that's when I don't remember anything. 
And I guess while I was there, I was, like, telling my mother how she was the shittiest mother in the world and, like, saying horrible things to my wife. And uh, they asked me, like, if I was suicidal. And I just told them, like, I don't really care if I live. And I still had my phone, and I found out that they legally couldn't hold me against my will, and they were about to release me. And until my family was like, he just said he didn't care if he lived. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah. That's enough for a... Uh, 5150, yeah. which is a 24-hour hold for Suicide Watch. And there was, like, a police officer there, so they put me in the psych ward. Yeah. Um, What's that like? Who, who all was in there? Uh, I had my own room, but I could hear, like, people screaming throughout the night. There was oh, one. There, there was one guy on PCP who, like, every, like... Like thirty seconds would just go, hey, hey. <laughs> so, You're trying to sleep during this. Yeah, so I I come to and there's a large Jamaican lady in my room who was my sitter to make sure I didn't escape. And she I like sat like, on you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they finally took my phone, and, and like uh, you can't Google how to get out of here. So. Yeah, yeah. And I was like. Uh, like what the fuck happened and uh they were they thought i was an alcoholic so they were pumping me full of ativan uh which is a benzodiazepine to stop you from having seizures from alcohol withdrawal they found out my toxicology report i actually had no alcohol in my system at the time what was it uh it was hydrocodone uh benadryl um tons of acetaminophen xanax and tylenol yeah yeah xanax and soma which is that's like five combos that I, that's basically what he, he Ledger died from the cocktail. Yeah. So the doctor came in and he's like, you have a set of men, a set of men po- poisoning and acute hepatitis of the liver. He's like, your liver looks like an 80 year old alcoholics. So they had to give me a vac, uh, not vaccine, <laughs> uh, it's vaccine a, a, talking. an antidote for, uh, a sediment poisoning. And they, uh, like what was going through your head whenever he told you that? I started crying. So that's what kind of made you re- like, when did you realize, like, I've, I've lost my way? Yeah, I'm like, I, sitting in the hospital bed there, what he's telling you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, yeah, I cried, um, because I finally saw what I did to myself and I did to my wife and I did to my family. And, uh, I was on tons of Ativan, uh, and I was getting sick of being there. Um, and I'm like, I want to be released. And they're like, we gave you uh, like 12 milligrams of Ativan yes- yesterday, which is the equivalency of like six Xanax bars. If anyone knows what that means, it's a ton. Yeah. Uh, they're like, you might have a seizure if you leave. And I'm like, I think I'm good. So I, against doctor's orders, I checked myself out. Uh, Didn't you say you, your parents were coming to, like, visit you? Yeah, they were coming to visit me, and I was sitting on a bench outside waiting for an Uber to take me home. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, what the fuck are you doing out here? Mind you, I, I my mind was still... Uh, so when you get liver poisoning, it uh, poisons your brain, so it causes all of this psychotic behavior. Were you, like, hallucinating, or...? Like, uh, not Just hallu- not thinking clearly. Not, I, I blacked out for, like, two days. Really? So there's just two days that you don't remember? Yeah, like when I was like, because I was about to die. Like yeah. if that doctor sent me home, I would have died. For sure. That's crazy to me. It's crazy. What a fucking moron. Yeah, I know. Uh, liver fail- failure goes really fast. Like you see some alcoholics that uh, 
you know, they'll be fine. And then like three days later, they're dead because their liver shut down. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Cause like, so, I mean, once you're, now you're, you check yourself out of the hospital. Like what happened after that? So once I, my mind cleared from the, uh, the Ativan, I really understood the gravity of what had happened. And, uh, and what, and what I did to my wife, sorry, I'm getting a little choked up. Sorry, brother. Uh, but then I, uh, ended up going to like the most expensive addiction, um, psychiatrist in Dallas. He was like $325 an hour, um, to get me on an opioid replacement therapy called Suboxone. So effectively what, what Suboxone does is the first time you take it, you get really, really high because it's a very potent, uh, opioid but it binds to your receptors so strongly and it's a long active opioid and also has Narcan, which is what brings you out of an opioid withdrawal because it kicks the opioids that are binding to your brain off. So, so that's like, like what first responders will carry on. Them, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I started to go to, so I went on that maintenance for about a year. I started to go to, um, meetings called smart recovery, uh, which is kind of a cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, version of uh you know group therapy it's different from aa because they don't have like a 12-step thing it's more like how why are your behaviors like causing these these addictions and like let's look at the underlying rooting root, root cause and like the, how to think positively and stuff like that so i did that for about three months um i stayed completely completely clean of alcohol and all drugs for for about eight months and uh, I started running uh, a lot and uh, I went back for a sonogram on my liver like eight months later and it was completely healed I had no cirrhosis no fatty it's crazy what that organ can do you know it's crazy I'm so blessed I didn't get cirrhosis because cirrhosis doesn't go yeah and I'm surprised like honestly you didn't have any sort of long term damage you know it's just like it's just based on because I mean you were just like killing your body you know just trying your best right you know and it's crazy like when you think about it post haste you know it's just it's it's so stupid yeah but in the time that it's happening you aren't thinking no you know so like that's what people i want to kind of keep people in that mindset of <clears throat> there's a term for it too it's called anastignosia and this is something that happens with people with uh schizophrenia also is you think you're fine even though you are in a horrible condition and that's what causes addicts to continue their behavior because they are uh, their brain is making them unaware of their their destructive behavior and that's why it's very hard to get uh, to people and like a lot of times that uh, rehab does not work because if you don't like want to go you have to do it for yourself I mean that's the thing is that like I was presented with a scenario of um you know, my girlfriend was like, I'm leaving. And my parents were like, if you don't quit, we're throwing you in rehab. And just that alone made me want to stop. Yeah. Uh, because I didn't want to go to rehab. And Same. I, I didn't want to sit around with a bunch of people that weren't like me. And, yeah. you know, that's what I was scared of more than anything, which is like, I wouldn't. Also, I didn't want to like relegate myself to 
thinking that I was that bad off, wherein I probably would have benefited from rehab, but it was to the point where I was also cognizant enough to know that if I continued on the way I was going, it was going to end up with me getting like butt fucked by method in a ditch somewhere. Yeah. Or, or, or not, or, you know? And so I was like, I got to quit. And so I made the conscious decision to just, and it's crazy because I knew ever since college and drinking and like, I was the, the man, you know, like as far as I could get, I could get my shit done and party like a motherfucker. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. So, I mean, like I had, you know, four O in college, but I was also the biggest partier. And so like it kind of yeah. became an expectation to be that character and that guy that was always just going to be the life of the party and uh you know just someone that could give the propensity that he had it all together yeah like you want to be popular you want girls to like you and like we did have our shit together i mean uh, not to like be elitist but notre dame is like a top 20 university in in the country sure oh yeah it's a great school yeah and and you're surrounded by like some of the most brilliant people um and i I was an economics computer science double major and I had good grades. So so like there's a there's a perverse kind of uh kind of a enjoyment in that you are super successful but a fucking dirtbag at the same time you're living kind of a dualistic life. Yeah, you're kind of proud of it. You are proud of it and it's and my wife like hates that I kind of like glorify some of these days and, and like what I put her through in our first year marriage and then the subsequent recovery which is uh just as painful because you're addressing the underlying situations you're finally unpacking all the damage yeah exactly and and i mean i i I continue to go to therapy for a long time and uh, mr biden and i share the same therapist yes who is also a uh an addict and so yes i think that that you actually recommended him to me. I did. And that changed my life. So thank you very much. Mike. Yeah, he's he's great, and he, I mean, he, he's he's like your recovery has been impeccable, and uh, there there's something weird. I don't understand success now because of the trauma of everything I went through. Things are going very very well in my life right now, and it's like I can't handle it because there's this also like feeling that I could just ruin it all at any time and just do the same thing. Yeah, but like I've found myself sort of contemplating that and then I just think about how I don't need it anymore. And like my life is so much better not so much better drinking and not doing cocaine and not worrying about being hungover and there was just like real world implications to all of those decisions that I was making, yeah. you know. And so now with a clear mind and going into my, you know, I'm about to be 33 and it's just like, I feel like I needed to, and maybe I set, maybe, yeah, I don't know about how you feel about the soul or, you know, like what the existential questions of why we're here. But I just feel like every addict that's in recovery may, you know, it's something that we might plan for ourselves just yeah. to, to see if we can overcome it. You know, it's just like, I, I didn't know addiction, addiction didn't run in my family. So, you know, it's just like, this kind of hit me out of nowhere. I yeah. never thought I would have an addictive personality. I didn't really as a kid. Yeah. And then, um, all of a sudden I just felt like I was at the top of the world when I could do cocaine and succeed and make money. 
You know? Yeah, and, and like like we said, like we had that invincible complex where like I am the person who is like above like these addicts where I can continue to use and be successful and you can until you can't. Yeah, and it makes you feel like you're on top of the world. Yeah, and the thing about addiction is like I couldn't start like taking painkillers and like just be okay. The thing about uh, addiction, they say it's like back in your mind doing push-ups, getting stronger and stronger. So if you relapse, you go back to the place that you were and sometimes even worse. Um, And kind of want to get into the fact that i'm not completely sober um yeah so like so so you have found a way to get off of i guess the main things that you were uh you know like if you got to use cbd sometimes some people use cannabis psilocybin there's a lot of different good ways to channel down you know from the hard hitters (laughs) i've had a great uh, success with psilocybin mushrooms. Um, it helps with my depression, which depression is, you know, uh, well, they're legalizing it in a lot of cities yeah. you know, for, for treatment. And for, for instance, like the last time I took psilocybin, I, uh, you know, I want to be a father. Um, and I'm in a place where I, I think I can be, uh, after I have a strong psilocybin trip, I realized I want to get into the best shape I can be. So I, the next day I ran a half marathon and I decided, yes. You're just like, I'm going to run 13 miles today. Yep. <laughs> so I decided that I was going to train for a marathon, which I'm doing now. Um, That's such an addict move. It's such a, it's classic addict. Is you, you replace it, you replace the dopamine. I will not join you on that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I have no interest to go run. Yeah. <laughs> I think I should, but I just don't. Yeah. So many get into like CrossFit and stuff like that. And like, yeah, the endorphins of running, like, it, yeah. is like a big thing. Well, so like addicts, you have to go from one thing that you have to pick something, right? Right. So like I went, I was, uh, I, I became obsessed with bowling. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. went to the bowling alley all the time. Yeah. Get- and I bought myself a ball and I joined a league with my buddies and it's been great. Every Wednesday I go, they get fucked up and I watch them and I have no ever remorse about not drinking with them every single week. And I yeah. love watching them get fucked up. It's yeah. like, it gets me drunk just watching people get drunk. Yeah. And I kind of enjoy that. Because uh, I'm like, man, I'm so glad I'm not like that anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand. So I do drink occasionally now. Um, and I have very strict rules about it. The thing is, compared to, like, heroin and the other drugs, like, the euphoria of it, like, doesn't match anything else. So alcohol, like, I can take it or leave it. And that eight-month break really like reset my brain because I was a daily drinker and habit is a big thing in my life sure. and it is for most addicts so I uh, now that my liver is healed I uh, I enjoy a cocktail or two but I'm to the point in my life where I get horrible hangovers yep. and I don't want to overdo your 30s. it yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I have a rule where I uh, can drink tw- two nights a week like no more than four drinks this is your bargaining I am bargaining. Yeah. But I stick by it. And, and I, I might... Uh, but dude, it works for you, right? It works for me fine. Can you be successful doing it? Yes. All right, then. And... Uh, then fuck everyone else who's, like, judging you. For yeah. That. And yeah. alcohol, like it, like I said, it's a terrible drug and it's a poison, but it's available and it's social. And I like to do it for the social aspect uh, in, in moderation. Um, 
but it's not even in my top ten like drugs that I enjoy. <laughs> it's just so, something that's available. Yeah, to it's me something that's avail- available. Because like for me, if I were to have a sip of beer, yeah. now today, I would immediately be like, I need to do. We need to up this party up. Yeah, and with do some cocaine. Coke. And I think that anyone that's a coke, like anyone that's uh, alcohol, cocaine specific, it, it's a very common combo. It, it is. <laughs> Because it's fun. common guys it's, it's that do it, shit. Yeah. you know what I mean. And I'm definitely an uppers guy. I never got into the downers portion yeah. of it, and so I always enjoyed being like a social uh, addict. Right? Yeah, you know. So like, I wanted to be the life of the party and be out, and and then but then it became isolating as yeah. everyone it's, was like, "You do this too much. Like, why are you wanting to get fucked up on a it, Wednesday?" It, it's bro? when you're starting to do it alone in your closet. Yeah. Yeah. On a Wednesday or a yeah. Tuesday. Because, like, when I was doing hydrocodone and, like, going out, like, I was awesome with girls because I was, like, relaxed and real smooth and funny. Um, but then you start to isolate. Fun fact, I have never done heroin with any other person. That's crazy to me. So, yeah. like, I mean, that's – it's like the – so there aren't heroin parties going on out there. No, heroin is not a party drug uh, when you're nodding off and uh, – <laughs> Like, like chasing, not something you're gonna want to shoot up before the club. Yeah, uh, like chasing unicorns and, and <laughs> exactly. stuff like that in your brain. Uh, but for me, uh, yeah, I it's been about a year and a half since I uh, was in the hospital. Um, and you feel good though. I mean, like, so, I feel good. Uh, and uh, like yeah, what's your plan? Like to to stay out of the the heroin game forever now you know it's easy it's 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 non-action ah we want to talk about non-action yeah so non-action it's a huge part of addiction it is a huge part of addiction and you know it sounds easy because in theory it is easy all you have to do is not do something uh not drink not put that needle in your arm not smoke that yeah right yeah so, and that's the one day at a time. It's like, I'm going to take one no- minute. Yeah. One minute at a time, especially in the beginning of recovery. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and you do that non-action on a day to day basis. And even if you choose to like go the path where you can use sub substances because they don't like click do all those clicks that cause you to spiral out control, you have to your non-action is not having that fifth drink or or whatever and i don't recommend the path that i've taken because a lot of people it's a slippery slope and my wife you seem like a very nuanced drug addict that can kind of handle uh a little bit better than maybe just the your run-of-the-mill I, guy that's just got to quit everything to be successful you know i think i have a strong will especially the near-death experience was so scary and i realized that Did you go to another dimension uh with a with the nde like did you see anything or do you remember anything no no i wish i i wish i had some fun story for that but it was literally me not remembering anything i mean i had epiphanies yeah um but I mean, that just comes with the the horrible shit that you did. So, if you had to give advice to, and this is so crazy because it's like I I'm trying to look back and be like, how do I uh, how do I use this for good? You know, how do we become? How do we? How do we? I think it's a important to just destigmatize it by speaking openly about it, and all agreeably, we have to do it as characters. Uh, we have real world implications for talking about this stuff, which is why we do that. Right. But, what we did was illegal, 
and uh, right. But it's so stigmatized. It is a disease. If you have a problem, you shouldn't feel shame. I mean, you have you're doing shameful actions a lot of the time, but you shouldn't feel shame that you have that disease in your brain. And that's why a lot of people who aren't addicts don't understand it. Same with depression. If you don't have it, people don't understand what it's like. So we need to destigmatize it and look at it like it's any other you know condition that you were born with. And right, but we've put it a label on it with criminals. I mean, yeah, you know, by being illegal, and then it's it, just it's created this whole thing where it's destigmatized it to not allow people to fix it. Right. You, you literally uh, stay in the closet. You're a closeted drug user, and it kills people. Uh, I've had multiple friends die. Uh, the reason I started trying stand-up is I had a friend that overdosed, and uh, I always wanted to do stand-up. And I was in uh, San Antonio uh, on a work trip, and I uh, just decided to do it because it was something I just always want to try, and life is too short. And I should so just get up, open mic night? Open mic night. I got there first. And uh, it was one of the weird open mic nights. Usually they, uh, like, randomize it and put people that go there often first. But they put me up first. And I said it. I'm like, this is the first time I I did stand-up. And uh, I literally, like, recorded myself in my room beforehand because I know you had five minutes. And I went up, and I got a standing ovation on the first time I did stand-up, which was, like, any... Bet, bet, as, no, it's not better than heroin, but it was as good as <laughs> good a feeling, good a feeling as like anything. And mind you, I have bombed horribly oh, after course. that. Yeah. But uh, on the sets. But <laughs> Mr. Biden's an interesting individual because he uh, he's a very funny guy, and what we're talking about isn't that funny. So I no. want to definitely bring you back someday for some fun stories. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like I definitely. Um, I want to like highlight like how much this like what can we do as far as destigmatizing it like how how do we get to a point where we can openly talk about this with our parents and with our families um I mean it, it has to come from a societal change um I, I think with the opioid epidemic which people still aren't talking about enough with the rise in overdoses and everything like that. Um, the medical community, when it comes to uh, psychiatry, is actually still in the birth of really understanding the brain. Um, but this needs to be pushed as, and it is like a, a D, DSM-5 uh, classification as a disease. So that's the way we need to look at it. And... Uh, but, like, as it specifically – and I agree with you, but the problem is that the legal system doesn't. And so when you stigmatize it and you put, put – put, you know, you, you label them a, a drug addict in the legal system, yeah, so, it's just hard to, get to, to shake that. So – We were fortunate to not get caught, you know? Like, yeah. we never got arrested for drug use, but there's so many people that have. And it's like that's the thing is that whenever you're dealing with – you know, a, a sensitive topic like this because it is illegal. Yeah. Uh, it's still 
um, it happens all and, everywhere and, and like way more prevalent. And, and I, I think I know the response that you're drawing out of me and I'm a libertarian. Uh, I believe people have the autonomy to do what they want with their body. I don't think taking a plant or a substance, uh, should be, uh, identified as a crime. And I, you know, the, with having private prisons and stuff like that, it makes it very easy to, uh, to want to have drugs be illegal. However, it's well, a really good way to control people. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's controversial, but we need to decriminalize a lot of these substances to, and we need to expand the mental health portion of this a lot. The police are the people that deal with drug addicts. That is incorrect. We need professionals who are dealing with this on a social level, dealing with it. Like if you look so at send a crisis, maybe a psychologist on a crisis intervention team with a police officer. Yeah, and and like if you look at Portugal, they have uh, safe injection sites for heroin users and opi- opioid users, and their like their overdose rate is so low because since these drugs are decri- decriminalized and regulated, you can get pure whatever you're getting and a lot of times when people are dying it's because they're getting things that are like laced with fentanyl and stuff like that and if you're being monitored and you're talking to medical professionals the chances of you dying is one it's really low is harm reduction that's going on suboxone was part of what i did um but if we have expand the mental okay and we under the Reagan administration we got rid of you know state run like healthcare facilities no for, I don't know for, that. for mental health yeah so like state hospitals where uh, there were you know people with mental health issues we got rid of those and that caused a large homeless population because you see a lot of like schizophrenics on the street and stuff like that right and drug addicts on the street I didn't realize that that was why yeah okay they basically so... just push these people out yeah i mean like that's a huge issue that and it's something that i'm reading about every day is how mental health is being failed in the jails like there's a one-year wait for safety right now yeah uh which basically means that like if you were to be arrested and then um say for like assault family violence but you were during it was during the middle of a psychosis episode yeah uh or a schizophrenic attack or whatever yeah and just to get treatment in, by a state facility is a one-year waiting time today. Exactly. So you are waiting in county jail, getting no help, right? To get help in a year, right? How the fuck does that work? I don't know because that's when you're probably at your worst. Exactly. And, Absolutely. And you're not going to get any treatment in county. No. And with your anesthesia, uh, like you don't want to get help at the time. And a lot of these people who do get treatment for drug use and. Uh, it, if you're schizophrenic and you get on the medication, a lot of their responses are, why the hell didn't someone help me earlier? So, I mean, with, with drugs being illegal, I mean, we have a narco state underneath us in Mexico. Uh, Where you can go into the pharmacy and buy Xanax for five bucks. Yeah, and uh, if you ask nice enough, you can get Oxy and, and hydrocodone and stuff like that, which I did when I went to Mexico. Sure. Um and it it's a perpetual cycle, uh, like especially for disenfranchised communities where substance abuse uh, and the incarceration for it is so high. 
if you have all these like fathers that are like selling crack to you know make ends meet going to prison they are leaving their children behind and it the, the children have to do the same thing because there's uh, there's nothing else to do and the way that welfare and uh, section 8 housing works is in order to get section 8 uh, like grants you can't have a male in the house so it actually uh, encourages single women with multiple children to have that situation which is so detrimental because I believe having a strong father figure in yeah, so they're incentivizing breaking up families. Pretty much. Yeah, and, and you see this by by the war on drugs. Uh, up in this like like fifties and sixties, there, there was a black middle class that was uh, like strengthening, and then in the eighties, seventies, eighties, when they started to do the whole drug thing, and we can get into the conspiracy theory of uh, you know crack being distributed by the CIA into. Uh, the inner cities, which is like all like obvious, it, like Mino, Arkansas, where where Bill Clinton was the governor, they used to fly in all the cocaine a and then distribute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were trading dra- uh, guns for drugs uh, in the Iran Contra with uh, thanks, Oliver North. Yeah, with with, yeah, <laughs> with Central America, and that crisis destroyed the black community because the criminal penalty for crack cocaine is well you know who wrote those laws joe biden so if you have if you have crack the you could have like if you have like three grams of crack you could have like a a fucking trunk load of 15 years powder cocaine yeah the mandatory minimums they threw down were just that killed them it killed them it was the democrats that did it yeah they killed their own communities that they they, they they claim to care so much about. Yeah, and these, in my opinion, and, and like drug possession and nonviolent crimes and going to prison, uh, prison, it also highly limits your ability to get unemployment after because no one wants to hire a drug addict. So, or a stigma, or you know what I mean? It's like it's th- that that stigma they created in the '90s and the '80s of drugs. Is, the Dare program still lives and, on, man. Yeah, it does. Like starting with free from starting with free from like to make this thing a crisis. Like as I'm much like fuck, man. Like what is like? Are we some grandiose experiment for somebody? I don't know. I don't know, man. But like there, there's a thing that if something is a problem, it's an easy like scapegoat to make it illegal because you're like this is a problem. Well, look at what and, happened with and, the '60s with LSD and psilocybin and the and the Great Awakening. Man, and that sucks so hard because they're Schedule One substances and they have. It looks like they're having therapeutic benefits for depression and PTSD. If only we could research it. Yeah, you can't research if it's a Schedule One drug. Marijuana. D- Marijuana is a Schedule One drug. DMT is a Schedule One drug and is produced in your brain, in your pineal gland, and it's released every night when you sleep, when you dream. So they have a Schedule One drug that we are we're all, ho- all holding at all times. <laughs> Most people can't unlock their pineal gland. It's so fucking calcified now. Yeah, you know th- what I mean. Thanks, fluoride. Yeah, fluoride, yeah. Uh, sugar, yeah. <laughs> all that shit, dude. It's crazy. I mean, because they're like, do you do? Do you meditate? Do you do any sort of like mental? Like, so how do you cope with addiction? Like, so you don't you don't go to AA, obviously. So like, yeah. what what is your strategy for? Uh, 
you know, not doing heroin anymore. My my mental uh, meditation is my long runs. Right. Um, okay. Because I'm alone. I can think. I have my endorphins going. So it, it puts me in a flow state where I can think about all that stuff. That is my escape. That's my escape. And also I want to stress the benefits of cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh, man. I don't know where I'd be without I, I I I think I'd be dead if it wasn't for our therapist. Yeah. Uh, he Having an ex-addict as a therapist is so beneficial because they understand what's going on in your brain. And uh, they don't judge you. And they, they don't they, judge they, you. Yeah, and it's it's like once you told me that he was, I was like, I, I got to talk to this guy too. And so, like, I'm so happy for you and thankful for you just for bettering my own life, just from reaching out from a Facebook post where I was being candid and honest, you know, and uh, and it led to this. And I think that that is beautiful in and of itself. Yeah. Is that I was like, fuck, I got to be vulnerable about my struggles. And it's then led you to come out and want to speak out about it, you know, And, and it's like. Well, will this podcast lead to more people wanting to speak out? I really hope so. And, like, that's another thing I want to talk about. If you see someone struggling, reach out to them. Like, I hadn't talked to you in forever, and now I feel like I regained a friend. I feel like you and I are actually closer than we ever were while we were partying because we're relating on actual adult life. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, we went to dinner, you and I, and last night. Yeah. It was great just to be able to relate with similar stories. Yeah. Because we we put our significant others, others through hell. hell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, we need to have them on. Just be like, I, I, <laughs> they don't want it. They don't I, want it. They, like, I know that they're like mine and specifically she. It's it's a it's a hard topic because of how much pain so painful was there, and the amount of forgiveness that they have is is something that I'll I'll never. Uh, I'll never stop being grateful for how much forgiveness they have. And that's one of the hardest parts is now that you're clear headed and you're like, I, why would I ever do that? Why? And then the, the guilt of what you put uh, your loved ones through, uh, creates a, and it's so destructive. And this is the good thing about therapy is you have to make amends with your loved ones and be like, I'm sorry, I hurt you. But we need to put this in the past because reflecting on, you know, how much money we lost, like I almost lost my life, all that it's and like wasted the first year of marriage for me. It's just destructive in itself and it could, could possibly lead to you using again to cope with the, the issues. The guilt or the underlying, yeah. you know, issues where you couldn't just move on from what happened then happened and it's time to put our best foot forward, yeah, you know, not in that sphere. But right. It's tough whenever there was so much time where that was, they were spending like mental fortitude on you that yeah. they otherwise shouldn't have been. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, but the, the important thing in, you know, meditation and, and run, running or whatever you do and therapy teaches you to, and so, uh, Psychedelics, they're not for everyone. If you have underlying health conditions that make you prone to, like, schizophrenia or bipolar... You're going to have a bad trip. Yeah, it's not going to be good. Um, I agree. They aren't for you unless you're in the right mindset to take You have to be in the right mindset, and it it shouldn't be a party drug. Yeah, you could go to a Grateful Dead concert and trip balls, and it would be fun, 
But psilocybin, it, I think, is more for like silent meditation. It is. I like to be alone when I trip because I, I, I sometimes I write stream of consciousness. Like one time, I was like writing like I, I put people in boxes, and like I, you know, that's wrong. People are dynamic, and you need to understand that. And also, it focused me on be, being quote unquote the strong safe man that I need to be to be a great husband a great person ex- successful at my job and hopefully hopefully ultimately a good father um, but the, you can learn from this trauma and be stronger like I lost my job during COVID after I got clean and I was like my job doesn't define me and now that I'm clear headed like I can think about the steps to move forward rather than escaping and freaking out and, you know, isolating and doing drugs and making things worse, or I could be taking steps to bettering myself, taking the time that I'm off to think about like what I really want to do with my life. And then, you know, think strategically on what, what I want to do to move forward. Yeah. So it ultimately, I think I fared well in the pandemic because I almost, I'm lucky to be alive. Um, yeah, things are like weird right now, but I'm still six feet above ground. You and me both, brother. Yeah. You know, it's like the world got, like, I was ready to start crushing last year. In February, I did, you know, more money than I had done in a while. And I, and then March hit, and I was just like, fuck, man. And then it got, I was six, I was down 65% in revenue from 19 to 20. Who has money to pay a, a and, defense lawyer right exactly. now? Exactly. And like, why, and like, there's no court. Yeah. So for me, Staying sober while being broke was even a different lesson that I wasn't anticipating, um, but one that I ultimately am glad that I went through. Uh, just because I, there were many times over the last year where I've felt like having a drink, you yep. know, and <clears throat> with no AA because of the pandemic, there's no in-person meetings. So I can't imagine how many of my brothers and sisters have relapsed. And if not, but for my support structure, I probably would have. And community is so important. I, I wrote not that. anymore. Social distance. I, I, I wrote, I wrote an article for a Catholic magazine that talked about the importance of community in this and, it can, you know, reaching out and helping other people not only benefits them, like me calling Jason, like, uh, reaching just reaching out to people it not only uh like helps them but the act of giving and you know just ch- it, it could be small things makes you feel better also oh yeah and the thing about like aa meetings is the community being in person is important like the tim Dillon show last night was so fun because you were surrounded by people that like were being hypnotized by the hilarious comedy that was going on. And the collective experience is something that, like, it's going away with this technology isolation, and it's so... Well, we're all experiencing cognitive dissonance on a massive level yes, at the same time. of course. Uh, I mean, internet good, internet bad. Uh, yeah, and it truly is. It's, it's like, we can't live without it, we can't live with it. We have infinite information at our fingertips which is so powerful and people choose to use it for uh the most destructive addictive and they're still completely willfully ignorant i i there's going to be uh rehabs for 
social media addiction. Yeah, addiction. I, I think there is. We should for, start one, dude. The, <laughs> yeah, I know there's ones for video games. That would be some freaking, that's a money pit, bro. Because imagine, you know, the, 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 the five-year-olds now, ten years from now, how bad it's going to be. And, oh, one thing I didn't mention, um, when I got sober, I, I started taking uh, community college classes on being a substance abuse counselor. Just for fun? Just for fun and for education. Like, what I was, was like, that like? It was really... Uh, Did you end up teaching the class? <laughs> okay, so there was one on the pharmacology of addiction on the brain. And due to my knowledge of drugs, uh, I think you can think... I aced that class. You made 100 in that class. I, yeah. It, and like You're I, correcting the professor. I was. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> You're like, actually, sir, I've done all of the drugs, and I know this more than you. It's hilarious. I've always had such an interest in drugs during my health class in high school. They had a um, they had a test on drugs, and they had extra credit, and I got the highest grade I've ever gotten on tests. I got, <laughs> I got, I got. I have been making straight A's in drugs since the very beginning. I've been pass, pass, uh, I've been uh, passing drug tests for a long time. <laughs> I got 120 percent on the test. That's a good bit. I think that's pretty indicative. <laughs> you need to turn that into a bit. Yeah, I need to turn that into yeah, a bit. I was a straight-A student, but only in drugs. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because, like, with the recovery aspect, I'm very much on the train now where I just want to see everyone do their best. And, like, I was always in the position where I was a selfish, self-absorbed cunt um, to myself and to others. And, like finally getting out of my own ego and my own reality like forced me to understand that the universe does not revolve around me and i i spent the large majority of my life thinking that it did and then to 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 zoom out and realize how truly insignificant you are yeah um but in the same breath can be of significance if you choose to channel it correctly you know wherein like you can actually be of use to people and me and my producer kosh always talk about this like being useful in this society is going to be so much more beneficial than just being a cog and like exactly existing you know the incarnation that you and i have been born into is so fortunate that i i get angry at myself when i don't acknowledge the gratitude that i have of everything that i have everything that i did not lose everything that could have been taken away yeah exactly and should have been taken away absolutely same i the fact that i'm still married should you know it's it's like it doesn't matter what it is it's that you get a second chance i think in america second chances are very yeah well looked at but it's like you've got to weigh that with yeah how do we move forward yeah Oh, I I forgot to mention my criminal... Oh, yeah. Uh, Dude, tell us about jail. Okay. Briefly. The, We're coming up on like two hours, 15, so we'll, we'll, hit, we'll hit our jail stories and we'll probably wrap it up. Okay, that's fine. Uh, so um, I think this was like three or four years ago. I was in Austin visiting story. my cousin, <laughs> uh, and my cousin parties hard, and uh, my I was kind of like the designated driver. I was on Oxy- designated drug driver. Designated <laughs> drug driver. I was on OxyContin, so I. It's I took, a good time to be a DD. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I. I took I took my wife and and cousin out, and they got so blacked out they couldn't walk. So my my wife was so drunk that I I think she would have thrown up in an Uber. So I so, decided to drive. So 
she grabbed my shoulder while I was driving on 6th Street, and she's like, you're not being very fun. 6th Street, like, in all, and so you're in Travis County, Austin. Yeah, yeah. D- during uh, the, like, Grand Prix, like, race. Oh, the so, race, yeah. so it was, like, one of those weekends they were, like, just pulling people over. And no she, refusal. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. She shook my shoulder and said, you're not being very fun, and I swerved a little bit, and then the lights went on behind me. So I had a CHL. And concealed handgun license. Yes, concealed handgun license. And part of it is you have to tell the police officer if you have a weapon in the car. And I had a 9 millimeter, so I told him that immediately. He's like, have you been drinking? And I said, I had a glass of wine at dinner. And uh, my wife was fucked up. So the car reeked of alcohol. <laughs> so he, he pulled me out for the uh, the tests, and I passed, like, all of them except for the balance one because I can't even do that sober. Or you, or you, you lift your foot oh, up with, without hopping, that, dude. Yeah, it's impossible for and, a sober person. To and and I, I know that uh, you're not supposed to blow, but I, ha- I knew they were going to do a blood test. If they, yeah, you did and, it right. They, if you're going to bleed, yeah. you got to blow. Yeah, so they would have found the oxy in my blood. So I blew, and I blew like a point one. Point one. It's yeah. like that's within the margin of error. 0.08 yeah. 0.03 yeah so I was I was they were going to do a secondary one when I got to the station so I got to the station and they were like you're being uh, charged with two charges I'm like what do you mean two charges um, they got you on the UCW didn't they yep they, which uh, is unlawful, they, carrying of a unlawful carrying of a weapon and while I was in there there was another dude same thing he had a 38 in his car and didn't say it and his car got impounded and they didn't find the gun because he didn't declare it. <laughs> he escapes the UCW. Yeah. So here's a little comedy. I, I got I got booked, and uh, we were changing into our fatigues, uh, and I uh, it was cold, and I was scared. <laughs> it was cold. So, so, and so my dick was in the least presentable state as humanly possible. Sure. It, it turtle shelled up into an acorn. And uh, you were in jail, and there was a changing big, into orange. Yeah, and, and there was this big black dude with a huge hog who looked over at me and looked down and went, "What's up, small fry?" Welcome <laughs> <laughs> <Fuck> to <in the> jail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that really happened. Yeah, that really happened, and I, I've done that at my comedy bits because it's Jesus. fucking hilarious. So you go to jail for DWI. Yeah, you know I've been there. Yeah, so. Uh, the jail experience horrible. They they don't give you water. You have to drink out of the toilet sink. Uh, there was a shortly there was a young black kid who was in there who uh, like rolled through a stop sign and the cops turned it on and they uh, um, he, he drove a little f- further than they wanted and they gave him a felony uh, evading like, evading yeah and he was like a perfectly nice kid ready for college and stuff like that and I was like just get a good lawyer. But it was definitely profiling, and I mean that it's fucking horrible. So I get out. I get the same attorney as I did when I was uh, at UT. I got a oh wait wait this is like eight years eight years later yeah and uh, it, well, hey buddy it's been a minute yeah and he's like what the fuck are you doing he's like you That's have exactly what I would he's, say he's you. like you have a high paying job and you have your shit together yeah so he got that he got my weapons charge dropped uh, I had to. Uh, forfeit my my weapon, which is kind of creepy that they just take your Second Amendment away and seize your gun. Um, and they drop the DWI to a obstruction of a highway charge, which 
was amazing. I was able to keep my license. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a win for sure. So I went through uh, probation for several years, drug tests, uh, community service. Uh, I could go. Wait, so did you skirt that? No. While you were, or did were you pretty straight and narrow while you were on no, probation? No, I, 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 I was a drug addict, but you know when it's coming. Oh, I see. So and, you just planned for the Yeah, and, and, and heroin and, and hydrocodone. Well, I had a prescription for hydrocodone, right? Okay. Um, yeah. So heroin's out of your system in like two days. Right. Uh, and It's kind of like Coke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard to bust someone for that. I, I got I, I pissed hot for alcohol uh, once, and I said it was NyQuil. From the night before. So I went through probation. And so I owned a consulting firm, right? And after I got laid off this year, I was looking for jobs, which is very hard during COVID. And I scored a contract with the city of Carrollton Police Department to do... Carrollton's up near Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. To really conservative. Right. I I interviewed with like the police chief and all this. And I got the contract to do uh, records management for their IT system. I got the contract. I did the, the background uh, profile test, and the obstruction of a highway came up. And it, uh, I was past probation, so and did deferred adjudication. So, like, technically, it wasn't, wasn't a conviction, right? It, was it wasn't so, a conviction, right. and they denied the contract just based on seeing that. Yeah, which is illegal because I went through, I, I went, uh, law dog and, um, uh, saw that given the position I had, uh, I was eligible to do that and they could not disqualify me based on that, but they, you know, it's an at will contract. Uh, so was that right around the summer of love? Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was like right by George Floyd is in June, oh God. uh, which is a blessing. Cause I got a much better job and I like, I love Love my job as much as you can love a corporate job, um, and it's a great. Yeah, man, we need to get you on stage. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a gr- and it's a great company. So yeah, it was a blessing. But that shows how f- fucked up. Oh, here's something. My wife threw up on the cop. Oh fuck! <laughs> and she <laughs> and didn't get arrested. She didn't get arrested. They called, that's a nice cop. They call. Yeah, well, fuck him. He, yeah, as long as he got you, he didn't care. Yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, uh, they called our friends, and the friends came, and they were like, yeah, we're looking to pick up a drunk girl who, like, was in a car for a DUI, and they said, which one? Because they were just pulling people over one after another. So, dude. Yeah, that's 6th Street right there, brother. Yeah, so they took her home in my car where my gun could have been, and... uh, Wait a minute. A cop drove her? No, my friends did. Okay. I thought they gave best, her a ride best, in best her part, own car. Best part, I have this all on video. Really? Yeah, because of the piece, police surveillance video. Well, you should have just used that in your case. I did. Okay, good. That, I think that's why I got dropped down to Absolutely, obstruction. Absolutely, that's why you got an obstruction. Yeah, because cause like I... Because that wouldn't look good if they had let the... If, they, if, they, if I would have just been like, officer, you let the girlfriend go, but you got my guy? Like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah, I'm like, dude, like, I'm talking to him. Like, he threw up on you. Like, yeah, she threw up on you and yeah. you didn't arrest them? I'm like, I'm just trying to get her back safely. And I'm like, I'm talking to you normal. They're like, I'm not. 
and, and the, the oxy actually kind of like boosts you up. So like I was, you had like, a little confidence. I was confident. I was completely chill. Yeah. And yeah, it, it was a revenue grab. And well, what, a lot of crime is, man. I mean, private prisons. We talk about the Democrat initiatives, but the Republicans are the ones building all these private prisons. So yeah. It's just like, what the fuck are we doing? I don't know, man. And, and like, it was just a cash grab. And, and it's the, by both sides. And, and the gun charge, I mean, it's because it was in a liberal county, Travis County. If that happened, like, out in the middle of the sticks, they wouldn't have done shit. No, no, no. But, like, the motion to seize uh, is very popular on any UCW that I usually see. Yeah. Because they want, and they don't, God knows what happens to those guns. They probably end up selling them overseas. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but they say they destroy them. Yeah, there's some there's some narco guy pack, packing my 9 mil somewhere. Exactly. Not like it's stopping me from keeping a gun in my car again because that is my castle, and you can't fuck with my castle. That's it, man. And, like, that's the thing is that even if you don't have the CHL, you're pretty good in your car. Yeah. Um, but it's like... We're coming up on two and a half hours. Uh, I think that this conversation has been enlightening. Thank you for bringing us in to the world. Uh, man, thank you for having me. And I mean, it, it feels great to Amen. Ha- have a have a good friend back. Me too. Yeah, you. man. I like. I think that what we were we were we would still communicate occasionally and send our you know Snapchats when we were fucked up. And yeah. Whatever, but it turned into concern a genuine concern for each other and i think in that that's good um in that we we've been able to pull ourselves out of that cycle and unfortunately there is a lot of collateral damage we left behind but um i think the broader point is that we have to focus on moving onward and upward you know and and focusing on how you and i can benefit other people who might need help or otherwise give someone a voice that feels like they might be in a similar situation. Right. You know, they're a young professional and they think that they've got their life figured out and they might see themselves trending in a direction like this that we've talked about. Yeah. And then maybe this conversation just like makes you think twice about it because as much as we can sit here and say we survived, yes, we are thriving now and um, a lot of people aren't. You know, we had such good support systems around us and the privilege of parents that cared and would fund, uh, you know, our lives. And how many people don't have those resources around? Well, technically I didn't, but. Right. No, I know. But so I did then personally. So I, so for me, it was my family and uh, my girlfriend that really saved me. But uh, for most people, like if you don't have a strong support system like you did, did not, you yeah. know, then it makes it a lot more difficult to just pick yourself up. By yeah. Join a community, a uh, sober community, because you aren't alone. And also, I want to mention that if you are still working and doing this, you are a protected class if you are, have a substance abuse disorder. So you can go to treatment and you should not legally be able to be fired because of that. Is that HIPAA protected? Yes. Okay. So then um, <clears throat> maybe we should uh, cook up some – I'll find that online and I can at least put some guidelines out there for the people so they can look into it if they need to. Information yeah. about how this is – you know, even if you are struggling with an addiction but you're worried about your employer finding out or you can still seek treatment without getting fired. Yeah. You can talk to HR about it um, as long as like – they don't see But is that, that a calculated risk? It is cuz like uh, you know you're on the risk of them asking if you're like intoxicated on the job which is a breach of contract in a lot of ways. 
but I mean, if you're saying you're an alcoholic at night or whatever, you can spin it and, and your health insurance will cover uh, treatment in a large degree, a psychiatrist rehab, all that. So if you have health insurance, take advantage of it. You, it's so much harder to go up this ladder alone. Seek professional help. Like it saved our lives. Um, real professionals are trained in this and it's a disease and, and, and utilize that. Please, please don't be isolated. Please don't just think you can, you can strong, you can knuckle it. I mean, it's eventually going to break you. It's just a matter of when. Whatever car you're in from an addiction standpoint, you're still going down a road to a cliff and addiction will kill you. And it's an icy road, man. And the lock and the brakes don't work. Yes. You know, and I feel like that's the equivalent of addiction. Like you're on an icy road that's downhill and you, you start to look around for things to hit to maybe avoid the, yeah. the and the, so the panic sort of like builds in your mind like yeah. quicksand and you see all the different things down in the realities and the paths that you choose to go as you continue to use and it's just like a fucking ice wall approaching yeah I, I mean I know it's hard when you get to that place but trust us your life is infinitely better once you get better and you can look back and it's achievement. It's an achievement to overcome this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm empowered every day just, just to wake up and be like, I'm not hungover and I'm going to kick ass, you know? And, like, I put my name on that. I stamp on that. When I look back in 10 years, it's, it's it, the bad years are as equally as important as the good in your journey. I think they're more important sometimes. You only learn from failure. Right. People who only succeed and don't have, uh, you know, trauma and all that stuff are a lot of times really boring. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they really are. God you know? bless them. Good for them. But, uh, you know, you get some fun quirkiness when you uh, go through the shit that we did. Agreed. Yeah, man. Well, I think uh, it's been a good conversation regardless. We're at it two and a half hours, so I'm going to wrap it up. But Mr. Biden, thank you for joining us today. I uh, really appreciate the candidness and the openness with which you've shared your experiences. Um, I hope that this conversation can help somebody out there. Me too. I love you, law dog. (laughs) (laughs) Love you too, buddy. See you next time, all right? See ya. That was a fucking doozy, wasn't it? Uh, Shit. Thanks for tuning into that one, guys. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicide, you can call a free hotline 1-800-273-8255. That is the Suicide Prevention Hotline. It is open 24-7. There's also the... Department of Human Health Services, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration has a hotline as well, which will, it's a national helpline. That number is 1-800-662-HELP, 1-800-662-HELP. And so if you or a loved one is struggling and uh, needs immediate help, that's, those are two good resources that you can go to. I wanted to end the episode with a brief uh, sort of, look back into I had written some coked out diatribes uh while I was struggling in the in the middle of an addiction and I just thought that this would be the ideal time to share them with the world because it's they hold a little bit of truth but they also are sort of the seepings of a madman so take it all with a grain of salt skip it listen to it I don't care but I just wanted it out there in the world because I figured if the uh, episode was about addiction, then you need to look into the mind of someone who was addicted at some point. So 
you can enjoy this little dramatic reading of a couple of essays that I put together uh, during the middle of a few benders. <laughs> enjoy, y'all. And uh, next week, if not next week, excuse me, the week after, we will be back and we will have another guest, hopefully, and talking about something really fucking cool. I don't know what I want to do yet, but I got a ton of ideas. Love you guys. Thanks for the support. And I do realize that it is hard to come back from having an addiction. It is hard to reconcile all of the terrible things that you've done. And it's hard enough to uh, start a podcast after maybe you've done some of that stuff. So it, guys, please keep that in perspective and realize that um, this shit is fucking terrible and it is real and it got the individual who plays this character. So, you know, you've got to keep it all in perspective and understand that this can happen to anybody and it's not it's not my fault. You know, it is it is my fault, but the fact that I have a disease is not my fault. And that taking time to understand that has made my life so much better and worth living for and that you know, while I can control it, it is something that kind of just over hangs over me. And I'm just taking it day by day to wake up in reality that I don't use. And so when you listen to what I say, or I'm about to say, keep in mind that this was written by a guy who thought that the world was about to end and that he was about to die. And I think if you listen to that with that perspective in mind, You'll probably take away a few lessons and a few uh, what the fucks from the following. Enjoy, guys. Love y'all. See y'all soon. March 17th, 2016. My pupils are the size of a pencil eraser. Maybe the lead point. I'm too fucked up to tell. I'm about to create or destroy something beautiful. My inner nihilist would be excited, but I still believe in humanity. I am Jack's complete lack of surprise. I feel everything, and yet I feel nothing. I'm the molly pill lacking the MDMA. Merely a placebo waning for the high. How uncouth and childish, like I used to be, and still am, maybe. When will I ever feel alive again? When will I ever feel anything again? Soon, it seems, or never, maybe. My future wife lies asleep on the couch as I continue to feed my self-centered addiction. Drugs. The only thing that can keep me from feeling anything, and at the same time giving the illusion of feeling everything. I can at least appreciate the simple fact that most of the beautiful art in the world was created with some mind-altering assistance. I yearn for it, but I hate it. Hate in a crazy ex-girlfriend hating me kind of way. The addiction that one can only feed with the consequences of dealing with the poisoned fruit. The sour and unrelenting me. I have found the perfect woman, and she's found the imperfect me. Yet loves me all the same, I thought. More to come on that. Despite not knowing the real me, she loves the illusion I present. Will she find out the real me in due time? It's inevitable, I suppose. She didn't, but the inverse was true. What she doesn't know, and probably is best, is that I've had a glass of cheap wine, six uncrafted beers, a hydrocodone, and a gram of blow to boot. I feel about even. She knows nothing, and that's probably best. And addiction is easy to hide with a little practice. This is pretty much an average weekday. I'm a successful lawyer living the peasant's lie, or life. However, one's mores can present an outward appearance of the respective moral compass. Most people are full of shit, though, including me, usually, but not always. Moral compass, what a dichotomy. I feel it all, 
no way to get it out because my words can't keep up with my brain's typewriter. I have so much to say and so many people just don't give a shit. They don't give a shit because they need other people's lives to give them the illusion that theirs is worth living. They need those baby Instagram pictures, the amazing vacations, the sugar daddy spoiling the person you might have been. What would you possibly do without all of this envy? I'm guilty of it too. We all are. I've got seven days to hit the 27 Club, the likes of Morrison, Winehouse, Hendrix, Cobain. Not the worst company, truly inspiring people, except I haven't contributed anything to the world. Yet. May need more time, universe. Sometimes being numb is the best. Most times it's the worst. Have you ever actually taken the time to sit down and try to write a song? Fuck, it's hard. Almost impossible. I can't do it. Makes you respect the artistry that much more. Wish I had the ability. The lyricism of a Dylan or a Harrison. All I can do is learn long and emulate some of the world's greatest lyricists. Pay your respect and it will set you free. Find music first. Then find a song that makes you feel something. Find anything in life that makes you feel and hear. And you will understand what it means to be alive. Crank up the music when people are annoyed by it. Find the energy that gives you a soul. Taste it. I've tasted it every day. I seek to find it. Even a song spinning in a mere 33 rotations per minute can change your life under the right circumstances. Never waste or forget those moments, even if it lasts only a few seconds, because you'll yearn for the same electric and eclectic feeling once more when you realize you're lost, but it ultimately does not matter. Never forget what made you, but treasure that which broke you. Those are the moments that define you as a human being. The moments you remember as a man in his 60s are often the decisions you always regretted not making in your 20s. You're the person you shape yourself to be, nothing less or more. As the great Lester Bangs once said, stake your reputation on being honest and unmerciful. Anything less and you'll be the guy everyone liked and quoted, but nobody could remember your name, so the story became their own. Say what others think, but fear to say. My mistake was being an asshole about it, but everyone knew there was a subtle truth behind my message, however abrasive or offensive it may have been. I never apologized. Not my style. Apologies are usually bullshit, but necessary sometimes. There's never a reason to think that it's wasteful of your time to study how people become successful. Not the spineless trust fund kids either. I'm talking about the true salt-of-the-earth types that made their way up to the two-comma club from a piggy bank. Work ethic and living unconventionally. I didn't exactly have nothing, but I didn't have everything either. One day I hope to see those two bright commas. And the only thing separating me from the one comma steady paycheck play it safe guy is that I want it more. And the want is life. The want is everything. Without the want, you're just another average middle classer coming to terms that you join the rest of your high school class on the long journey to the middle. Worrying about your 4% annual return on your Roth IRA so you can retire when you're too old to travel the world. For some people, that's enough. An indication of a fruitful and fulfilled life. A perfect Instagram or Facebook post with a perfect, my life is perfect and I never hate myself for pretending how awesome my life is. Chromosome filter. The truly inspired usually refuse to accept this mingling reality as truth. The truly inspired stop at nothing to become what they always set out to be. A brave new world and a carnal, politically incorrect, yet still correct world. There's no dummy's guide for that, maybe until I write it. Surround yourself with great friends. They're usually the only humility that will keep you grounded. If you aren't willing to get shit on at some point by your best friends, this probably means they aren't your best friends. If you don't have any best friends, get out of the chat room and explore. You are who your friends are, from grade school forward. Never abandon a true friend. They're as important to your success as any tangible quality you may think you possess to be happy and or escape the rat race. 
Lastly, don't burn a bridge unless you absolutely have to. You have no idea what another individual will end up doing with their life or where they'll end up. If it's a best friend and they don't want to pony up a little money to attend your destination wedding, don't blow the friendship, but don't forget it either. You'll remember again when they need you, after their second or third divorce. Trust me, I would know. Remember the future wife from the beginning of this epithet? Turns out it wasn't me. It was her. What a massive Shakespearean tragedy lacking the comic relief, but A2 ex-wife. Your very best friends will never let you down. Ever. No matter how douchey you may have acted in the past, they will always be there to pick you up or punch you in the face when you deserve the punch. Do all of this and tell your therapist how it's working out. December 19th, 2017. One more beer. One more bump. One more lie. How long can I keep up this facade? I hear my own desperation cry for me in the darkness, masked as the wheezes and the inhale of that which will probably kill me. Marketing kills kids. Big Tobacco just got smart about it. March 16th, 2018. But ultimately, remember this. Nothing I just said will ever fucking matter. We are the grand illusion that our social circle makes us out to be. Outside of your close friends and family, the universe does not give two shits about you, or me, or anything. We try to cope with our own existence by looking to a higher being. I hold zero judgment towards those that choose to live by the same multiple accounts of hearsay with different variations that have carried through human existence. What makes a man mad is trying to figure out what made him in the first place. There's no right answer, only a false assumption. I also don't trust any man who starts a cult, with the only difference being that a man who starts a cult is still alive. A man who starts a religion is dead, but we gotta trust him. Please. The assumption that you matter that your life somehow made a difference in the grand scheme of a billion plus years the solar system has been around for, and for which you are the product of, not the intention, is ridiculous at a macro level. The mere fact that I wrote this with or without the intention that somebody would someday read or hear this and give it half a thought is the antonym of this very assertion. But I'm human. I think I matter, and therefore what I think I say matters. To someone, at least. As far as I know, the bounds of the earth that man has since studied and thinks he has studied wrongly, inevitably, it is our conclusion that we are the only creature capable of questioning our own mortality at a single point in time. What a fucking dilemma. Or a blessing, depending on who you ask. Who the fuck would want to have sex with 72 virgins except the psychopathic madman? Ask the artards that flew planes into the heart and soul of America's economy while I was studying for an 8th grade Spanish quiz. Por que no los dos? But ultimately, my belief is only a sad truth many refuse to believe, which is that nothing you will ever do on Earth will ultimately matter when the sun explodes. And it will inevitably explode. All stars do. Humans have one thing in common. They are born and they die. To deny that denies science and proven fact. People who live their lives believing what they do here will reflect on them in a grand afterlife. Well, shit, I get it. What's the point of living otherwise? That's what I used to believe. But that's just it. There will be nothing awaiting you except the cold black of space and time when you bite it. To believe that you are special is something humans have since the beginning of their existence. Made a point to instill in their psyches because we are innately scared of not knowing things. You may end up in a history book, a fairy tale... Live in a big house of houses and lead a good life. But at the end of the day, it truly does not matter. We all eat, piss, shit, and die. Some just do it better than others. People may speak of you 1,500 or even 15,000 years from now. But at the end of the day, it's a blip in time. We are small and insignificant. And it's hard to accept that carnal truth. I am at peace with knowing that despite everything I did in my life not mattering, I lived it that way. 
because what's the point of being fucking miserable or caring about needless minutia that seems important to our everyday lives? Focus on the big picture, which is that there is no picture, and you are not special. You do not mean anything to the universe. I've come to figure that if you can do this reasonably well, it will free your mind to explore the possibilities of enjoying every second of every day, knowing that even if it did not matter, in the end, you took advantage of the millions of years on a planet that inherited you, likely did not want you, and regardless can die knowing you loved your blip like you knew it all the same. March 25th, 2018. What an only child thought. You made it to 30, and you're still alive. Only once divorced, too. I'm blessed, if being blessed is even a thing, to have incredible friends that truly care about me, because despite being an asshole persona, they know it's reciprocal, and deep down, I'm actually not an asshole most of the time. I love her. Truly can't find a single fault with her. But I'm still waiting for her to grow tired of a repair job that will probably never truly be repaired. I don't think I ever needed to be repaired, for the record, but the ex-wife definitely jaded my perspective, to say the least. And looking back, it may have been the best thing that ever happened to me. Not sure she'll buy into the whole not-getting-married bit for a while, and that I'm just saying that fresh off divorce, but truly, I don't know if marriage will fit my lifestyle in the future. You can't love them all if you only love one. Ticking time bomb, only time will tell. She deserves better, only in the sense that better can afford her for the next 40 to 70 years, as that's all the majority of us have left, right? April 25th, 2018. All religions on their face sound promising. Christianity, Judaism, Islam, they give you a central tenet to live by, which is that by living a good life, you will be rewarded when you bite it. Who doesn't want to think that life is all there is? Definitely not the guy scraping shit from a goat's ass and who the fuck knows where Africa when miraculously a bunch of rich yet granola white kids show up to your village and build you a school and promise that Jesus will save you. Get their next profile picture showing everyone else how they're subtly better than you and then leave. Return to their air-conditioned one-bedroom apartment where they stuff sushi in their face while watching 17 women pretend to try to find love with some asshat so they can be famous and think that they matter to the world and get free bottle service at Sir. I don't blame them. The feeble-minded will fall for anything when they are indoctrinated that way. My best friends are like this. My parents told me this is the way things are. Put me in a school that reinforces that set of values for 16 years, and I would never question it. I get it, but they don't seem to understand that their way isn't the right way, which is why we have a 70-year conflict in Jerusalem that will never end, because humans are indoctrinated and never truly seem to wake up and think for themselves and ask, what the fuck are we actually doing here? Most church-based activity is positive. It enforces community, a core set of values, helping the underprivileged and those in need. It is easy to see why it's attractive to the masses. But the cold, hard truth is that the entire existence is based on faith. Believing a hearsay story told seven different ways by imperfect men capable of embellishing everything. If God wanted to know that he was the true God, he would have left a notebook for the first caveman to find it and figure it out. But God left it up to the early human beings to craft a story that would let other humans make sense of their existence. Because why the fuck else would we be here? We are a combination of atoms, elements, and over the course of 200,000 years, we figured out how to be the best at it. We are nothing more, nothing less. And I get why people don't want to believe that, but they are wrong. And eventually they will see when they die that nothing is waiting for any of us except the cold black truth.